Welcome to episode 12 of Beam Me to Sick Bay, the show where we talk about Star Trek, the next generation. And uh, today we've got a very special episode. I'm doing, I don't know why I'm doing this voice. I'm here, your host. I'm here with McFreeze. I'm in the sick bay. <laughs> me too. I have a cold and haze. The special episode is Skin of Evil, the best episode ever, but go on. Do you really think it's the best episode ever? No, but I like it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Good. As long as you don't think it's the best episode ever. We have a, before we get started, we're gonna be talking about Skin of Evil today and also uh we'll always have Paris, which I keep forgetting about because that was an episode uh, I'd mentioned. I don't remember anything about this episode before. I hadn't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. I watched it yesterday and I'm already forgetting about it. I <laughs> like fr- I, I, I kinda liked it, but it was definitely that like season one mid like quality writing if you 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 know what i mean where it's like mm-hmm. nothing bad about it but definitely nothing that stands out either yeah no mm. i don't think it was a bad episode at all i just think it was forgettable it's a show it was know? like it's a shame too because there's like moments where you can see there's like oh this has some cool ideas going for it but they just don't really like do anything with it at all yeah well and actually i read too that this was one of the first episodes that was affected by the writer's strike so that could be why too yeah, like mm. they, they do some really cool things in that episode, but like they don't do anything cool with those ideas. That's that's a shame. Yeah. Um. So anyway, we got a couple emails before we get going. Uh, we got this email in from London. He's, can you read this email from London? <clears throat> I've been looking at these episode paintings slash screenshots, and I have a question for everyone, but particularly Hayes. From the perspective of someone who hasn't seen the show... How do you all feel looking at a little baby beardless twink boy, Jonathan Frake, so much um, about looking at? I'm sorry, uh, because you see it once per week and you can't handle it. Um, so I have a very like, you know, I, I, I don't really have that much of a like problem seeing it. Uh, it's not it's, I'm sure it's not as like perverted compared to you guys who have seen bearded Riker all the time. But like for me, it's it just is kind of what, what Riker looks like right now. It's just what he looks like. I, I don't really have a problem with it. It's gonna look weirder for me whenever he has a beard all the time. I won't be used to it. To Dad Riker, what do you guys think? <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's like it really is like it's, he's a different guy. I don't know what what it is, but it's just it is just a little off putting and. I don't know. It's it's like just also like you can see his facial expressions a lot more because he likes to do really really big facial expressions. I was going to say so. he fucking loves the smile and he has like this like slow creeping smile too and you see every inch <laughs> of it now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot. I think it's like personally I think when he does that with the beard it looks more natural. Mm-hmm. And so that's my thoughts about it. See, I think when uh, whenever I start to rewatch this show from the beginning, I have the the jarring like, ah, oh, where's his beard? Ah, oh, he's so different. Uh, and I wanted to first of all address just because he does not have a beard does not mean he's a twink by any means. <laughs> not a twink. He's a he's, big man. He's a big man. He's very burly. He just he's doesn't like, have the beard yet. He's um, in his mid thirties or something. <laughs> You saw the cover where he has a shirt that's showing all his chest hair, right? Like that's not a twink's chest. That chest hair that Hayes asked if it was like glued on. (laughs) (laughs) Because you were so used to him being a twink. Uh, No, um, you get used to it really fast, though. Like, that's just the way he looks. Um, And I I think 
it, I don't know if it's going to be weird for me seeing him in a beard because I have watched the show so many times. Um, it'll just be like, oh, Riker's here. But I don't know. He, he is almost like a different character, though, when you think about it, because uh, he looks so different with, with and without the beard. Uh, that you think of like first season Riker versus the rest of the season's Riker. It's just, yeah, like you, you don't get the impression whenever I've seen like clips of like Riker and like, you know, other future parts of the show, you kind of get the idea that like he's this like experienced veteran who's, you know, the reliable one hand man here. He almost gives off more of the impression of like, not like the bad boy, but like kind of like, or like renegade, but he's like a little more definitely more youthful, but he's just more like he's kind of got that daring quirkiness to him almost more. So. Yeah. There's a very quirky and quality. I think that's, that's what they were going for. I think because he's, I think you've read where um, you said he wanted to have the beard from the beginning and they told him to not have it. So. Yeah, I didn't know he'd wanted to have it from the beginning too. That makes sense. That, cause it makes sense because he's, I don't think ever shaved it after he grew it for season two, like I think he's that <laughs> yeah. his entire rest of his life. So. I wonder if he had to shave it specifically for season one. and <laughs> Maybe he did. Maybe he had a beard before then. I don't know. I've never seen him in anything before TNG. Yeah, right, some, right. Some folk are just beard folk. Okay. And then uh, the other email we got was from a friend of the show, Miracle. But uh, this was, was about Arsenal Freedom, the episode where uh, when Dr. Picard, and, or Dr. I don't know why I keep doing that. Uh, Captain Picard and Dr. Crusher fall in the hole and she gets severely injured. Uh, it is a very long email that I am not going to read all of. Um, because it's very long, but he gives us a, a very a thorough, um, explanation of what you're supposed to do with somebody in that state who's in a, she was in hypovolemic shock is what he says. Um, but I'm just going to read this, this excerpt for the end because he was very upset about how Picard handled it. it was very poorly. Picard, on the other hand, tried to move a patient with a possible broken neck, not once, but twice. Crusher had to push him off her with her broken arm before he got the point. He didn't bother to check any other part of her body for other injuries, or else he would have identified the bleeding leg wound. And when she's practically begging him to keep her warm, he's rooting around in the cave for an exit that his obviously immobile patient can't even take. Needless to say, if Picard were my first aid trainee, I would have failed him the instant he tried to move Crusher the second time. Very disappointing, Captain. Miracle Butt, Occupational First Aid Attendant Level 2. Thank oh. you for the email, Miracle Butt. Level 2. I've always thought about this, um, and especially during that episode. I, I didn't bring it up at the time. Do you think that most of Starfleet has fucking awful survival skills? Because everyone's just used to having these godlike medical instruments like near them at all times. That at the point where they don't have access to them and they're stuck in the wilderness somewhere, they're just completely like, it's a completely like foreign situation to them. Well, you see how often those security people just fucking die out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like, yeah, probably. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I want to give them more credit than that. I want to say, like, no, they probably have better survival training. These people are like dealing with colonies on unknown planets, et cetera, et cetera. But they have not demonstrated that really in the show at all. <laughs> I, to me, they're just like the fucking Jetsons, where anytime they're not like surrounded by <laughs> technology, they just fall apart. I'm also thinking there's there's one episode of DS9, and I'm sure that McFreeze knows which one I'm talking about, where they uh, proved that that's not always the case. But um, that was also special circumstances because they, uh, it, to give you a brief idea, a ship basically uh, crashed on a planet and um, they had to make do and survive on their own. But there was also someone on the crew who was like a 
weirdo who hated technology and only wanted to humans to go back to their roots or something. Um, so she was able to really guide them on that. Mm-hmm. So it is possible, yeah. but not often, not frequent. Mm-hmm. That was a good episode of DS9. That's a good show. Yeah, DS9, not that TNG is not a good show, but this is that's a good show. DS9 is not a good episode it's, of TNG. It's rated. It's rated. I'm not going to say it's underrated. It's rated, and I'm proud of it for being rated. <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we talk about Skin of Evil, Hayes' favorite episode of Star Trek? It was a good, it was a good episode. <laughs> I won't say it was a great episode. It had a lot of things going against it. Um, they really do. Don't, they don't even try with Tasha Yar. Um, they, they genuinely do not even try. And also... Um, it was definitely like not not a lot of stuff going on, but I liked the tar monster. It was I like I liked the thing. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. Uh, okay, he's a guy, you know. He's, he's... You should watch. You should watch the original series and report back to us because he's like an extremely. Uh, this is an extremely TOS episode. It, that's what I. That's what it kind of felt like where they just find this weird thing on a planet and they're like, okay, how do we deal with this? it's trying to kill us and we can't do anything about it what are we supposed to do about this i don't know my impression of tos is just guys running around in godzilla suits and trying to punch captain kirk so that's a little different (laughs) my impression of tos is people just going down to a place getting fucking killed by them and just decide and try to figure out what to do what to do about it so this episode yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, exactly Yeah, they they gave Tasha Yar. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, everybody listening. If you didn't know, this is the episode Tasha Yar dies in. <laughs> so if you didn't know that, now you know. But uh, they gave her a freaking red shirt death. Like she's just got straight up red shirt death. It was oh my so god, she just gets like flicked away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it happens in the first ten minutes of the episode. Uh-huh. That really threw me off. I was thinking like, oh man, she's gonna have this big sacrifice, you know? Because they kind of build her up at the very, very, very start. Where they were she and Moore for talking about the martial arts tournament. And you're thinking, like, well, this is gonna be a Tasha Yar episode to send her off. Fuck no, she gets killed immediately. Yeah. Doesn't even well, take like two minutes on the planet. <laughs> it's something Poor Tasha Yar. It was handled very poor. Like I I did like her like send off, send off. Like I know what they're going for. I kinda like uh kinda like um you know, sometimes Shit just happens, and right. there's nothing you could have done about it. Um, but it was, it was like it's so kind of it is so casual and just kind of they're like, well, we have to keep on until the mission is complete, so we're gonna have to ignore this for now. And it's like it basically comes off as no one really gives a shit until it's time for the funeral. Well, I I disagree with that because they have the really pressing issue of Troy being trapped in the in the shuttle and then somebody else trapped yeah. in the shuttle. Then they're trying to save their lives as well. And so they, they don't have time to mourn. And they do, I really feel like, do send, uh, do a good send-off at the end of the episode and have that nice yeah. funeral for yeah. her. But um, let's uh, let's do the, the details well, of the episode real fast before I, we... Uh... I, I just wanted to say, um, one of my favorite examples, McFreeze, of like someone just like fucking dying in a situation... One one thing that does really really well is a gunbuster. I don't know if you guys remember that, where uh, Noriko meets like a shonen protagonist in like the third episode, and they become like best friends, and they get you know they get all buddy buddy, and there's a fucking space alien battle in the middle of the episode, 
And he's like, don't worry, kid, you and me, we'll make it. And then he just fucking dies out in space and it's completely silent. And you never hear of him ever again. Yeah, because like, he's dead. Because he's dead <laughs> in space. And space is terrifying. And that just happens sometimes. And I did I forget did... about that, actually. I need to watch that show again. Oh, it's so good. Um, and I think that's, like you said, they're kind of going for that here where it's just like, sometimes death is just like sudden and like instant. But uh, it, no, it just kind of felt like they're just flicking her away from the show. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was bad. Um, so anyway, this is uh, we're talking about Skin of Evil, episode twenty three of season one. Uh, this was first aired on April twenty fifth, nineteen eighty eight, and the teleplay was by Joseph Stefano and Hannah uh, Hannah Louise Shearer. Story by Joseph Stefano, directed by Joseph L. Scanlon, and the in universe date is four one six zero one point three dash four one six zero two point one. Uh, and also a note that uh, this was apparently a continuity error that, that this episode takes place before some episodes where um, she's still alive. So whoops. <laughs> Whoopsie. Oh, who can keep that all straight? It's impossible. Uh, so the Enterprise is going to rendezvous with a shuttle of theirs, Shuttlecraft 13, unluckily enough. Uh, and it's containing Troy coming back from a conference or some bullshit. And this is where we get the nice scene on the bridge where Worf is talking to Tasha about the martial arts competition that we mentioned earlier. Um, this is like the best scene Tasha Yar has gotten in this entire show. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys agree? I um, agree. Yeah. I mean, she. it's a really nice scene where uh, she's talking about, oh, I'm, I'm kind of ready for it, Worf, but I could use your help in the, in the holodecks more uh, if you could train with me later. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, but you know you are favored to win uh, in the pool. And she's like, oh, you bet on me, didn't you? Real cute. Yeah. It, it's, think... tied, it's tied between this and the drug PSA for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a joke. That's how sad it is. It is sad. Um, no, I think mm. this one's better because this one's more about her specifically uh, and, sure. and less. Because that other scene was good too, but this one is. So the reason too, let's mention before we start talking about the episode, is um, Denise Crosby, the actress who plays Tasha Yar, had asked to leave the show because she was disappointed with the amount of development the character had gotten, which is entirely valid and fair because she what has not gotten any development. Yeah, what exactly. Development? She yeah. doesn't do anything. She's just there to be wrong. Yeah. So yeah. she want, she wanted out of the show. She's like, fuck this, I'm out of here. And so there this was, is the episode they wrote to send her off. There was a note here that said, uh, she said, if more if more TNG scripts had provided parts that were as strong as this episode, she would have never asked to leave the series. I saw that note and I was like, what? Huh? What? What? Uh, <laughs> because this, this first scene is good, but then she dies like five minutes later. Yeah. Well, so on average, it's really just a jam-packed episode. <laughs> God. It's just like yeah, they did not they do just, right like, give her any. Why didn't they just like give her anything to do during the entire run? It's like I'm, I'm just trying to think of like Tasha Yar moments. She goes to play uh, that fake space sport one time. She gets yelled at by Picard for being wrong. She gets uh, to... she cries in Picard's arms after she gets sent back to the ship. Uh, after Q sends her back to the ship, she, she features prominently do... in Code of Honor. Yeah, she gets uh, to do combat uh, to the death. <laughs> so yeah uh she Rough was going. right to want to leave the show honestly uh because they yeah. really did underutilize her because she really like she could have been a fantastic character if they had just you know written scenes for her right who can remember to write scenes for all of your characters <sighs> so they have this nice scene of her that's the best tashi R scene we get in the entire season of the show um for for what it's I, I, for what it's worth i just wanted to say also um sorry 
nobody's getting written well in this show right now. I'd say like the best characters that are being written. Uh, Picard, obviously not even Riker. Riker doesn't really have any characterization when you think about it. Like mm-hmm. he does stuff. He does stuff, but like how, how much of it is him, his character doing stuff? Or, or, and how often is it just like, okay, he's the character in the scene that has to push the plot forward. Like there's nothing like, how much do we really know about Riker at this point? We don't, don't care- about Riker at this we don't know we shit about Riker at this point. We don't know shit about Riker. Picard and Data really are the only ones in season one. I think they really touch it all. Uh, Crusher too, I would say. Yeah, they're weirdly enough. especially with the romance between Picard and Crusher. That's that's oh, and, the and, thing. That's and the Wesley thing. too. Yeah, Wesley. I would it, say they they also give a little bit of development for. They did give a little bit of development for, and then they they chilled out hard on him after the Traveler episode. Ironically. No, the coming of age was was only a few episodes ago. That's true. That's true. That actually, coming was, of age that was, was a good was Wesley a, episode. That was a good episode. I didn't remember it because it was actually a good Wesley episode instead of a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Just slipped out of your mind. Oh, I mean, by the way, um, this is in my Wesley. This is the last episode that Will Wheaton is in this season. By the way, so enjoy him. <gasps> no. He's not in the next three. He didn't even get to do anything this episode. He just stands there while Ghost Tasha says, "You're a good boy, Wesley." <laughs> he had That's to be not there for true. That. He got to look at the computer while Worf was on the computer. He did yeah, do that. That's he true. He got to help. Okay, uh, I'm, so, anyway. I'm, I'm sorry. Go yeah. on. I keep cutting you off. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, they're, so they're going to arrive at the shuttle in an hour, but Worf receives an emergency transmission. There's an audio only frequency. They can't get through except for audio. Uh, the lieutenant piloting it has a systems failure on board. His instruments are going haywire. And Picard asks if Troy is all right, because, you know, it's just there, too. Um, and Picard calls engineering also says, hey, we need to get warp power going. <laughs> I love this scene because the lieutenant commander down there, who is now, uh, is that the new chief of engineering this episode? I couldn't tell. I don't think they called him that. Oh, but, um, but his name is Leland T. Lynch. Yeah, he says the entire his entire name every time he says it. This is Leland T. Lynch. This is Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch, but no, he says he's uh, realigning into the lithium crystals, and we actually get to see uh, he's he's with two guys in uh, coveralls carrying this like big salt rock crystal. There has to yeah, be there has to be a better way to do this. <laughs> it's so that's funny. The dilith- that's the dilithium crystal, right I got there. Two, it's just a bunch I got of two salt. questions. One, why? <laughs> second, <laughs> second of all, why not have like you know a primed one and a one you charge? You know oh, what I mean? Expensive. You, you're not just going to find those dilithium crystals lying around, man. You got really ones that big. What, what <laughs> budget? The, you're the you are the 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 like numero uno ship for Starfleet. You can't have a fucking thing. You can't have a system where you're not like disabled for 20 minutes. Yeah, I think time. that Leland T. Lynch probably got fired after this episode. Fucking seriously? <laughs> are you kidding me? Is this I'm, amateur hour? I'm just glad um, that it this crystal that they're gonna put in the engine is not in any way something that would fit in anything it's just a rock <laughs> it's it's literally like have you seen those himalayan pink uh salt crystal things it's just that it's just it a totally giant is. pink cr- salt that. crystal yeah <laughs> um but the shuttle is nearing a planet they say uh an, an uninhabited planet called vagra 2 and um the shuttle gets caught in the planet's gravity before they can get going so the engineer guy says that um he's gonna like align it by hand or manually align it which is somehow faster because <laughs> it only takes him a couple minutes and then he was like putting it back in the system and with uh skipping the engine startup checks which also seems like a really fucking terrible idea and the computer tells him this uh because it's it they're in a hurry so there's no time oh and then i wanted to note too which was a big 
freaking ding. We got a big continuity ding right here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He primes the matter and antimatter injectors. And you know what ratio he sets them to? I know. I know. I wrote it down. 25 to 1. 25 to 1. We learned in coming of age that the ratio is always 1 to 1. Always. I can't believe it. Wait a minute. You're right. Wait. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? I didn't even think about that until just right now. He wants to go really fast. He thinks if he just makes the number bigger, it'll go faster. He's lucky he didn't explode the entire enterprise. I'm just saying. Um, anyway, he tells the bridge they have, I don't know, all of the Leland T. Lynch scenes in this episode are really uh, awkward because they don't go anywhere and they, yet they dedicate a lot of time to him saying shit. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. But he tells the bridge they have minimum warp drive and Picard orders them to warp eight and he's like, but I said minimum warp drive, Captain. And he's like, it's just going to be a problem. So yeah, Leland T. Lynch was definitely fired after this episode. Yeah. He's that, just like, yeah, motherfucker, Picard. I said warp eight. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here. But but also, if that feels like an un- okay, so like you're already putting in this like unchecked like I shouldn't say unchecked crystal, but it's like you know they're they're not running final checks on anything. You want to be a little cautious about how how hard you push it, right? But but Picard's still like, all right, Max Warp, baby, we're doing it big. Like that seems like a very un Picard thing to do to risk his ship over going slightly faster. He's trying to save the lives of his officers. But what if they all explode? So he didn't do a good job of saving the lives of his officers. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I feel like he wouldn't risk his, like his own ship like that. It was I don't know. I don't know. Well, what is max warp anyway? Like the max warp that the Enterprise can do is like nine point five or something. So they're not fully. Yeah, it's a it's a fast, it's a flagship of the Enterprise. I keep telling you, it's a good ship. I meant to ask: it, Is uh, the way warp works? Is that like a Richter scale where like it gets exponentially like faster the higher the warp scale is? Yeah, I have I no think, idea. I believe it is supposed to be like that, and like it gets exponentially higher, so that like ten is like the highest, right? And like you can't get it's like uh, speed of light in real life, where it just takes more and more energy the closer you get, so you can't actually get to it. So that makes sense. Because that's, that's how, like, Mach, like, when you go talk about going, like, Mach 5 or Mach 6, I'm pretty sure. I want to say that's, like, you know, Mach 5 and Mach 6 are not as close uh, together as, like, Mach 6 and Mach 7, I want to say. I could be making or that what, up. Wouldn't it be the opposite? Wouldn't they be closer together than Mach 6 and Mach 7? Yeah, exactly. So, like, Mach 5. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I imagine Warp looks, works like Mach in that way. Yeah. Right, right. Except it's based off of uh, the speed of light instead of the speed of sound. Oh, that's probably exactly what it is, actually. Well, we just we just solved it. We just solved warp. We're really smart. We did it. We are. We're really yeah. smart. Uh, Zeta can't <laughs> detect an emergency signal from the shuttle quite yet, but they arrive at the planet. Warp has located the shuttle, and it's buried under de- debris. And they can't scan through the debris, but they're getting very faint life signs. So they can't tell how many people are alive or who's alive. Um, all they can do is send down an away team uh, to, to try to save the crewmates. So Picard mm-hmm. orders Riker to prepare the away team, and he takes Data, Yar, and Dr. Crusher is going to meet them as well. So we go down to the soundstage planet, our old friend, Rocky Desert soundstage planet. We've got Rash this time. It's like the comfort of an old sky. friend. <laughs> yeah. And the shuttle is fucking trashed, uh, but it doesn't look like it's completely covered with debris, so that's kind of weird. Um, there's a reason for this. The away <gasps> team has beamed down, and they approach the shuttle, but there's like a pool of some, what, what would you describe this pool as? Ace. Oil, just like straight up oil. That's what I thought it was when I first saw it. 
Yeah, it's just like an oil slick blocking their path. So they're like, okay, well, we don't know what it is. So let's walk around this way. And the <laughs> the oil slick very comically moves to block their path. <laughs> He's like wanders <laughs> over in front of them. <laughs> and they look it's, down it's at really it. Like, it's a really like cheesy effect. Yeah, it's, it, it's basically um, what you would get in a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Yeah. Well, especially because they look at it after it moves and they're like, okay, let's try going the other way. And they literally like turn left and go that way and see if they can walk around it that way. And it does the same thing, obviously. And they're like, huh, well, this is very strange. It's got two main forms. One where it's like clearly really cheesy animation, just kind of slinking back and forth or on top of things. And then it has puddle of oil. the form where it's just a gooping swirling swishing puddle of oil that you that they take really close-up shots of i like this the swishing part i like the second one i do the, the not stupid looking one um <laughs> you're jealous um, you're not a cool uh, oil monster Riker informs the bridge that a slick is blocking their path and data says it has no neural or circulatory systems that he can see no organs uh he can't identify cellular structure and can't tell why it's moving or if it's even alive uh, and Crusher just wants to jump over it, but Riker stops her. Uh, they can't tell if it's alive or not. Um, and uh, Picard's like, well, do you think it could be? And uh, and Data's like, well, I think it's possible. And then it suddenly growls at them. What does it say, McFreeze? says, and I quote, Very good, Tin Man. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he grows like a, this humanoid form starts to grow out of the puddle. And it's the trash man. Oh no! Think he looks that cool? Honestly, he does not look cool. He looks like a trash man. He looks. Like, <laughs> I shouldn't like say. I, I, should not, I don't mean uh, a man uh, works with trash. I mean a man made of trash. <laughs> he looks like a living trash bag. Yeah, I would describe yeah, him that way. A living trash bag dripping. He's like completely. I don't think he looks good. I think he looks ridiculous, which he, kind of helps me like him, honestly. He looks, I don't know. He, he's like uh, like a seal standing on its tail, basically, uh, is what he looks like. Honestly, that first moment where you just see the head kind of pop up, it actually does look like, oh my god, this is like some, some shit. This is like some American Horror Story shit, where it's just this weird figure coming out of this like ooze. And then you see all of them, and he's... Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I had forgotten what he actually looked like when he climbed out of the ooze, so when I saw the scene where his head's appearing, I'm like, oh, he's gonna look badass. Or even if it's just a guy in the kind of a, a goo-covered costume, that'll still be cool, but no, it's like a fucking goo armature man that looks yeah. awful. Yeah, it doesn't look... It doesn't look great. I don't think it looks like terrible terrible it just looks a little goofy uh but it's probably not 100 percent the effect they were going for <laughs> yeah. yeah so on, on the enterprise picard thinks the creature's location to the crash is not coincidental and uh the the drippy garbage bag man identifies himself as armus Riker tells him hey we mean no harm we just uh we want to help our injured friends over there and he's like well that's not good enough reason to let you pass <laughs> <laughs> armus is a cool dude and Riker explains like no, we want to we want to help them because all life in the universe is important and has a right to exist, we believe. And he says, and I quote, an interesting notion which I do not share. Yeah, basically he says, yeah, that sounds stupid, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be fair, Riker says this in the most nerd-ass way po- fucking possible, where he's like, we want to help them because all things have a right to live. It's like, okay, I mean, Riker. he was kind of put on the spot, like, you don't have to know who to explain to people. <laughs> Why do you have to help your crewmates? That's stupid. Uh, Amrith tells them that they can leave if they wish to, though, and Tasha steps forward at this point and says, we're not leaving without our crew, and she attempts to walk past him, but uh, what happens What happens then, you guys? Well, 
So, what I always remember happening is that she gets pulled into the puddle and drowns. That is not what happens. She just <laughs> walks at the puddle, and then suddenly she gets thrown across the, the ground like uh, with a force field or something. She just he, gets knocked all the way like 20 feet over into the rocks. The trash the man deftly flicks his wrist as Tasha Yar is hit by a gust of wind and she yeah. smashes against the rocks and she's crumples immediately. We later find yeah. out this is all inconsequential, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Armis has like magical powers or some bullshit. He's this is like- the beginning of his magical powers, motherfucker. <laughs> He's got so many powers. He can do anything and you can't hit. He, guess what? You can't kill him because uh, uh, Riker and Data immediately are on the quick draw and like, and, it, and uh, obviously it does nothing to him. That's not a thing. And I'm glad that McFreeze that you mentioned that you also remembered her dying from being pulled into the tar because that's also what I remembered. Because uh, <laughs> there's a scene where somebody else gets pulled into the tar later, and apparently it it was a strong enough scene that that's what you stick in your mind of that would have been a cooler death for her. That would have been hundred percent. That would have been very memorable. But no, they just uh just throw her over there. So so Doctor Crusher's like scanning her body and and like oh she's dead. And again, this is ten minutes into the fucking episode. Mm-hmm. so the four of them are being back up you, th- you think they could do better than this like you could have given her a heroic death like you could have given her a reason to die instead of just fucking red shirt red shirting red shirting red shirting her they red shirted her the hell out of her uh, the four of them are being back up and they take tasha to the sick bay dr crush is doing everything she can to try to bring her back to life she's given her um what did Norep, she says, oh, put the Norep in her, keep zapping her brain. And the, the, the nurse is like, really? Zap her harder? Zap her more. And she has no brain function. She's she's fucking dead. I fucking um that was like a it's a weirdly long scene, the uh the brain resuscitation scene. <laughs> and um my favorite part of it is that at some point Picard gets like bored and starts going over and talking to Riker. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> he, he just like wanders over to Riker and starts talking to him and and then uh uh crusher says uh well she's dead picard has to like turn around like surprised like wait what i thought she was gonna be okay <laughs> it's, it's in there i swear he just gets fucking bored and starts talking to her and like turns around from the whole like brain resusc- resuscitation stuff. well she's got it under control <laughs> you, know, you have to you have to imagine that it probably was a huge surprise that she died though if you're watching this episode for the first time and didn't know like because mm-hmm. you knew ahead of time right ace um, oh yeah yeah i know yeah, because I mean, the show's been around for so long and people have talked about it for so much. And like Tasha Yar dies in season one is such a, a known thing. But if you were watching this 1988, you would have no fucking idea because somebody, especially ten, the first 10 minutes into the episode, like you, the, plus the commercial break, oh, she's dead thing. Like shows do that all the time. And she come back, oh, she, we resuscitated her. It's fine. Right. But no, right. She, she's actually dead. She's dead, dead, dead. Uh, one thing I did think was interesting is that they actually technically bring her back to life as soon as they get her onto the ship, but they basically just give her vitals like, y- you know, they get, make they get her heart and her lungs going and everything right away, but she's effectively brain dead, and so that was the mm-hmm. whole yeah. that was the whole thing, and uh, that's just fucking creepy. I don't know. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's normal medicine can do that now. You, you just have people you have coma patients that are brain dead, but we can keep them alive through machinery. That's true. That's true. 
Yeah, because yeah, the, machine, the machines are just running the organs for you. You know, the machines are keeping your lungs going, keeping your heart going, but the, the brain itself has no control over it. This because at this point, the brain's dead. And when when she reports that she's dead, by the way, when Doctor Crush reports that Tashiara is dead, uh, she, she says there was too much synaptic damage. That thing just sucked the life right out of her, which I thought was hilarious. That's so not like, what that's, that's what's supposed to kill her. Uh, no, exactly. It, it wasn't her getting flung fifty miles per hour at a rock. It was her getting just like life juice out of her. Yeah, so life just got sucked right out of her by the magical tar man. It should have had a laser coming out of her head, so we could have seen that happen, but it didn't. Oh. Yeah, we just got her flung. So on the planet, Armis is like, I I love this when they anim- use this animation. By the way, uh, Armis creeps over to the shuttle and like covers it completely. <laughs> so this is the barrier they saw earlier. Yeah, the puddle. Uh, not the guy. The puddle. Uh, squirms over there and just goes all around the shuttle and covers it up. So you guys are going to disagree with me heavily on this, but I'll actually like a lot of the the Armis and Troy scenes a lot. Yeah, I disagree with you heavily. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Here's here's my argument, is that the entire basis of this episode is that Armis is supposed to represent the id, Troy is supposed to represent the superego, and Picard is the uh, ego. You are thinking way too hard about this. No, I'm serious. (laughs) I'm I'm serious. Uh, Because Armis, his his entire deal, this entire episode is that I just want to do this. I just want to do that. I want to find something that can, like, you know, give me purpose or meaning or joy or amusement. Uh, Troy is basically just trying to question him, saying, like, you know, this is wrong. You know, this is, like, the wrong thing to do. Like, you need to reflect on what you're doing. Like, this is all going bad. In reality, and Picard's whole thing at the end of the episode, I guess we should, I shouldn't say right now, but I'll bring it up when we get there. Cause no, it, you, I, you I think, can say right now. That's fine. Because Picard at the very end, he, the, his entire thing is that like, this is your present situation. You have to accept this. You can't just be like, yeah, I'm not going to let you get away with doing what you're doing. You have to like deal with the, the reality of the situation you're in. So that's. I never would have thought of it in those terms, so I'm glad that you said all that because it, it that it, it is an interesting way to to view the episode and the dynamic, and not one that like I never consider stuff like that like psychological stuff when I'm considering um uh an episode of TV. I wouldn't say it's like super well executed. It is corny as shit, but I think it's interesting to think about. Yeah, you're right. That is interesting to think about. What do you think, McFreeze? I don't know. Um, I don't know if they were intentionally going for that thing or if they just like said, oh, Troy is here. Troy is here in the episode. We need Troy to do the thing that is her job, so she will do it. And that's what they did. They did do that, yeah. They did definitely do that. I mean, I, I would say that Hayes is definitely onto something, though, because uh, a big undercurrent of the episode is is that psychological struggle with uh, with Armus. Mm-hmm. You know, because his power literally weakens when he's uh, confronting his um, his own emotions. Yeah, that 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 is like his entire deal is that like he becomes weaker whenever he's forced to like be vulnerable, or he becomes vulnerable whenever he's forced to like address to be his vulnerable. Rage. Yeah. 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 When he's emotionally vulnerable, he becomes actually vulnerable. Same. Uh, and Troy's able to do it <laughs> by questioning his morality and trying to use empathy with him. And Picard's able to do it uh, with him by like confronting him directly and just 
laying out the facts of his own life, his own miserable existence and how pathetic he is rather than just like giving in to like his sort of primal instinct, the way that like Riker and the, and the rest do. Yeah. So it, in this scene, uh, RMS is covering the shuttle and there's a few of these in the episode where he covers the shuttle and comes and just like taunts Troy and he tells her, oh, your friends have deserted you. Uh, and she's like, no, you're wrong. They're going to come back. And Troy also from inside the shuttle felt Tasha die with her empathic powers, which has to really suck. Like, that has to suck if you're an empath like that and you just can feel people die around you. I know. That'd be miserable. Yeah. yeah. Like, she she knows what it feels like to die. She feels all the emotions of a dying person. And she feels it all <laughs> the time, probably, because not all the time, but like every time she feels like someone that's like near her dies, which considering she, the she business she's in. Yeah, she chose an interesting career to have that, but I guess she can deal with it. Um, yeah. She should uh, have been more like Luxwana, who apparently is only around people that are smashed all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Armas just keeps playing the supervillain at her, and uh, he's he's keeping her there essentially so that he can torture her and the others for his own amusement, is what comes out of that scene. So in the conference room on the Enterprise, they're all talking about Yar's death and what they can do, they can do about the shuttle. Uh, they appoint Worf, uh, Picard points Worf, now the acting chief of security. So congrats to Worf for his promotion. Yay. He, he looks really sad about it because, mm. again, I'm mad that they didn't really develop the friendship between Worf and Tasha until the very beginning of this episode. Like, we saw them <laughs> together a little bit, but they had they could have had a really nice friendship that they didn't fucking ever write. You know what's also <laughs> yeah. crazy about this? They even say, well, you know... Worf and and uh, Tasha Yar, they were kind of close to each other. They had, you know, they had something in common. They were both orphans. They were both like, you know, fighters, warriors. Worf doesn't even get an arc this episode. He's just here to sit around. He's there to say, yeah, I'm the security chief now. I'm going to sit on the ship some more. <laughs> well, he does. He does his job well. I feel like though, I think he he does his job very respectfully because um uh they they see that Armist is generating force fields to keep their sensors and the teleporter from working. Um, and Riker says, oh, we got to go back down to the planet. Uh, and Jordy's like, okay, I, I should come with you too because maybe I can see something in Armis that you you can't see because I got the visor. And Riker mm-hmm. asks Worf to go, but Worf, like, he wants to. You can see it in his eyes that he really wants to go down and try to avenge Tasha. But he's like, no, I can't do that. I'm in charge of security now. I'm in charge of the ship. I can do more up here, uh, like working on those energy fields since we're not trying to engage, uh, right, right. engage Armis in battle. And that's that's very mature of him. You know, that's a. I actually do like that moment. The problem is that that's where his moment ends for this episode, other than just, other than just like showing up and seeing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would have hoped that he'd get some character development out of this, at least to get something out of that death a little more, but not, not really. He just kind of gets a, a title change. He gets a promotion. <laughs> that's his character development. Yeah. He developed into the head of security. Technically, uh, he's acting head of security. And I guess after this episode, they just realized, wow, you did a great job with those uh, those beams. Worf, you can stick on. Yeah, he he's the chief of security for the rest of the show. So yeah. spoilers. Yeah. Well, he does, They don't have to give him a raise because they don't use money. So. Yeah. Really? What? Yeah. Well, like, yeah, no, how does society, you know, no time for this now. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's an episode for another day. Um, <laughs> no time for this now. <laughs> the away team returns and sees the shuttle covered in the goop. And um, Armist is like, oh, you were right there. Your friends came back. But I, you can't talk to them. Ha ha. Because it'll make them feel really bad. <laughs> and she's like, you're right. It will. It will feel really bad because they can't talk yeah. to me. <laughs> and she's trying to explain friendship to Armist, which I, this, this Hayes isn't entirely wrong. This, these scenes are kind of good because like, uh, yeah, she's trying to be like, well, you know, uh, these people care about me because we're a part of a community. And he's like, that's stupid. I don't get it. Nobody <laughs> should care about anybody else. 
Oh, well, yeah. No. He, he, the, again, this is where the, the id kind of comes into it, where he's completely self-serving. He's not, he, he, there's no consideration for others because he does not have consideration for others. It just doesn't exist as a concept for him. He's just malevolence and instinct. Yeah. And Troy can sense out of him, uh, too, at this point, that he has been abandoned on this planet by someone, um, but he won't, like, fess up to it yet. He's like, oh, I'm not telling you about that. She's like, not yet. Not yet you are, but you will. Troy just kind of therapizing him in general. Um, mm-hmm. So Armis leaves the oh, shuttle and head. She's doing all the therapy on him this whole time. That's her so job, much. It's good. I, I like this. It's, it's all right. She does a good job. This is this is my favorite Troy episode by a mile. It's a good Troy episode, yeah. Because she's Probably. actually like doing counselor things rather than saying obvious things. She's like trying to like kind of get to the the heart of like what okay obviously armis is like tormented i need to get to the bottom of like why he was why he's tormented and if i can like somehow help not only identify this but help him identify it for himself it's good i like it i just i did i did like how he genuinely seems to like build a rapport with her and he's like oh i want to talk about myself actually this is this is uh, very. This is good. You know, I'm. I feel like this opening up is very. You know, he's uh, not enjoying it, but he's getting something out of it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so at this point, Armis leaves the shuttle and creeps over towards the away team with his with his oil slick form. Uh, and meanwhile, on on the bridge, Wil- Worf and Wesley are looking at the energy readings on tactical, and they notice the fluctuation. There was a fluctuation as he was talking to Troy. Um, so that's so worth mentioning. Riker then attempts to negotiate with Armis, and Armis is just taunting them, like, "No, you can't! I killed your crewmate, and I didn't care." Neener, neener, neener. <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> he's a really mean all the time when he does this too. He's like, "I need to talk to Troy," and he's just like, "No," <laughs> he like <laughs> he, he just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Uh, and then um, Crusher's like too begging him, like I need to treat their injuries. I need to make sure they're okay. Can you can you please let me see them? And, and he's like, uh, no, actually, he, she says, can can I, I need to see them? And he says, well, say please. And she says, please. That's really nicely. And she, he says, okay, I'll allow it. And then she goes, starts to walk over, and he just moves over and changes his mind immediately. Like, ah, oh, never mind. I changed my mind. <laughs> ah, At this gotcha. point, he says, gotcha. okay, no, you, you can talk to her. So that they allow her to communicate with her on the on the teleporter i mean on on the uh communicator a little bit i didn't write down what they say because i don't think it was that important but it's just like acknowledging troy is alive and she knew about yeah. tasha's death well actually she she wanted to ask dr crusher if they've managed to save tasha and dr crusher's like nope bad news about that Tasha's <laughs> still dead uh, uh don't forget uh she also makes sure that the pilot's okay oh yes yeah, that's yeah. Really good. It was good confirmation. no one's ever asking about poor ben i poor assumed ben. he was dead because when they show the inside of the shuttle they pan past him and he's like he's, lying he's, unconscious he's, he's <laughs> hanging there no he's no he's he's fucking his face down on the console and there's blood on it yeah he's fucking he dead still, you better. assume he's dead but we do learn that he's he's just injured he's not actually dead so good he's for just him. been passed out for the he, last five hours it's fine he, he's got a nice uh star trek chair in his future <laughs> um so uh we didn't get this scene where he's using armis is using his magical powers to just fuck with them yeah <laughs> He's oh, you should try to use your instruments, or maybe their instruments are useless, or whatever. He just like picks up their instruments and floats them in the air. 
her tricorders and phasers and stuff. She throws and Jordy's visor on the ground. And then he's <laughs> pretty and then dick move. Data's like going to pick it up and he says, No, don't help him. Don't tell him where it is. <laughs> so he's making Jordy like fumble around on the ground for his visor. And uh, laugh at this. so mean. And Data tries to tell him like, uh, it's it's like a, a meter to your right, Jordy. And then Armis uses his powers to like make it disappear from there and over to the left. He's, like, he's, just he's got teleportation powers. It's crazy. <laughs> he's just so mean. And then um, he, he looks at Data like, oh, are you not going to keep helping him, Tin Man? And Data's like, Oh, fuck you. I'm not going <laughs> to keep playing your game here. And so immediately Armas gets bored and lets uh, Jordy see again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's is... like a child. He really is just like a little baby child. That, that, that's what I mean. Like, he's just instinct because uh, he, he just goes from like thing to thing to thing, just trying to find anything that will like keep his attention without like really any thought as to like why he's doing this or like, you know, or what he's trying to accomplish. He's just trying to. He's just like poking and prodding things just to see what happens at any given second. Yeah, you're right. He's just seeking his own satisfaction. He is just perfect id. Yeah. Um, so he goes back over to the shuttle to complain to Troy that your friends aren't amusing me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, no, no, no. Yeah, he um, he says like he says you're right. They're not gonna you're they're not gonna amuse me, fucking jerk. Yeah, because earlier she had tried to tell him like they're not gonna provide you the amusement that you're looking for. And yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, I'm gonna try anyway. You're right. They're not amusing. And this is where he, he opens up to her and tells her that he was discarded from um, a people that figured out how to bring all their negative qualities to the surface, like a, like a second skin, he says. <gasps> uh, <laughs> and then they shed him and just left. So and- this means he is the same concept as Piccolo from Dragon Ball. That's what I'm saying. This is great. <laughs> oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, he is Piccolo, except for way, way less cool. Way less cool, but that's He's, okay. You know, he needs to do some more cool moves before I can like him. <laughs> do you think where's he can the, do... Where's the, do... Where's the special beam cannon? Well, what do you think happened <laughs> to Tashi Yar? I don't know. That was the that special was beam kind of, cannon. Kind of flew around. I don't <laughs> think that was a special beam cannon. It was cannon. so fast, you didn't even see it. It was past the. It was faster than the uh, was, human eye could could perceive. No, that was just that thing where he powers up really fast, and there's a gust of wind. <laughs> that was, that's the power up, and Tosh just hit her fucking head off a rock by accident. Yeah. And uh, Troy says at this point that she pities him, and he just grows like he shakes the shuttle and growls and says, "Ah, I don't want your pity." Ah. Very yeah. angry and violent. Uh, but he leaves the shuttle and goes back to the away team. And this is where he, he just like grabs Riker with his uh, magic powers, I guess, and like drags him towards the oil slick. And he's like, no, don't touch me. <laughs> this thing rules. Oh, man, I love this. He just, he just gets dragged in there very slowly. And it's like this. Again, this is like really like viscous like goo. It's not like water. It's not, it's not colored water. It's genuinely like this ooze. It's like black ooze. And you just see it like slowly like encapsulate around him as he gets dragged under it's really frightening honestly yeah it it is and it's a good scene and um uh they inform captain picard and he wants to beam up the rest of the survivors but armis is like no if anybody leaves Riker will die or this guy will die and so will the survivors of the crash and then we see Riker's face which i also love this scene like coming out through the goo which is this is the cover of the episode by the way uh through the goo uh just like 
You can see him screaming in horror with his giant screaming mouth. It's ah. horrifying. It's so good. I love this. is a good episode. I'm telling you. Oh, and also, uh, oh, no. I'm a plaster cast of Riker's face. <laughs> well, you know. no. Actually, a uh, note from that on. Uh, I was looking for that information on, on Memory Alpha because I was like, that's cool. How did they do that? Uh, that was actually him. That was his face. What? Was, yeah. Got, it was in his mouth and everything. Yeah. He did it, though. That's it, gross. That's a, that's a that's a fucking worker right there. That's that right there. <laughs> yeah, there's a note actually. Let me find it on Memory Alpha. Um, do, 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 do. Not so much of this podcast is just quoting Memory Alpha. Um, <laughs> that's fine. It's it's a got a good information. Um, so yeah, the scene where Riker is sucked into Armis was actually performed by Jonathan Frakes himself during a break in filming while Frakes was laying on the beach set covered in the black sludge. LeVar Burton approached him and said, "Frakes, I would never have done that." <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, awesome well, I, the experience frakes himself said i suffered physically like a fool with mikey sure i'll get in that black fucking metamucil shit that was absurd <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I have a note on the guy um who was the 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 sludge man himself okay. he says because there was no oxygen tank uh, the scenes of the submerging and rising from the pit of goo were timed with a stopwatch. However, the body portion of the costume disintegrated during filming after reacting with the goo each day. They had to, <laughs> they had to order several extra costumes because they would just fall apart every day. Oh, why did no. they? Why did they bother actually putting him under there? Why not just get like a mannequin? He's got to go. Cheaper Ugh. to hire an actor. Yeah, it's cheaper to hire an actor to just stand up out of the goo. <laughs> I guess, but you know what I mean. He's even like barely moves even after he comes out of it. That's I, really yeah, funny. I assumed it was just an armature. But that's a guy, I guess. <laughs> it's a guy. That's a miserable ass job right there. <laughs> Michael Westmore has been unable to find an explanation for the disintegrations because the goo was supposed to be inert. <laughs> I guess they yeah. were, it was like they were using uh they said they were using like uh shoe glue. So it's well, actually, supposed I, it's to be says, very very uh solid. Well, I see here it's a mixture of metamucil and printer's ink. Mm. No, I mean I think the I like glue it. dissolved or something. Oh, okay, the yeah. glue did. Yeah. Is it like safe to be in printer? I'm not going to question this. It's probably safe. Uh, He's alive. As long as you're not doing it every day. Guys alive. So. Sounds like they're doing it every day. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I've worked in print shops before. People who do do uh, traditional print press work with the ink get covered in it too. So, like, it's it's okay. probably not going to kill okay, you. Merk, with all due respect, you do they not. Don't, go no, head... they don't get literally head covered in it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but what if they did? I bet someone has. In your mouth and everything. You know? I I I'm sure he didn't swallow it. I bet it's, it's happened. It probably has happened. Oh, okay. So, what happens next? <laughs> um, um, Worf and Wesley have charted the energy field and figured out a pattern. Its energy has been lowest when it's enveloping the shuttle, and so Picard thinks it might be related to Troy, and he beams down because he wants to talk to her. Which this is a really stupid fucking idea, but whatever. It's um, not the first time, and I'm sure it's not going to be the last. Probably not. So Harmus goes back yeah. to the shuttle, and at this point, he's like taunting Troy again about, "Oh, I got your boyfriend," <laughs> and she's like, "Zani, <laughs> no, stop hurting him!" Oh no! This might be the last time she calls him Imzadi. By the way, I don't remember it happening after this. Um, and he asks her, "Like, should I let him go?" And she's like, "I know you're just asking me that to torment me, dude. You're not gonna do it." 
<laughs> um, but she says like she would readily give herself up not just for him but for um for any of them like she would in a second sacrifice herself so that they didn't have to suffer and he just can't understand that like he can't get it mm-hmm. uh he says well maybe we'll think about it because she's like it's like please you already have me just let the others go and he's like perhaps uh but then another has arrived he says as picard is being done on the planet do you think that if Ben was captured by the black goo, you think Troy would be like, no, Ben, I'll sacrifice myself for you. Or would no, she just she's, be like, she's no. uh, she, sorry, yeah. Ben, you win some, lose some. <laughs> she is full of shit about that. I'm going to say, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe she would. I don't know. We I feel like it's true. She would, but probably not Lieutenant Ben. Poor Ben. Um, so Ricard is here and Arma scoots over to talk to him, but this, I love this scene, by the way. I love Picard so much. Um, like Armas is like, oh, are you the one in charge to Picard? And Picard just ignores him and turns to Data. Oh yeah, is Riker still alive? <laughs> he asks. Um, <laughs> and at Armas's insistence, like tell him, Tin Man. Data's like, well, uh, I'm gonna hazard a guess, but Riker's probably still alive. His death is no longer sufficient to entertain Armas. But it's just it's a fair guess, I guess. Um, and Armas is like, yes, that's correct. And Picard refuses to entertain Armas. Uh, Armas says, fine, I'll have to entertain myself. And he grabs control of Data's body uh, and has him point the phaser at Picard. And he asks Data, how would you feel about the, being an instrument of death for your leader? And uh, Data's like, well, I wouldn't really be the instrument of death because I have no control of this situation. And Armas is like, wow, you suck. You're boring. What about if I <laughs> her instead? And points it at Dr. Crusher. And Crusher is like also not trying to give him any reaction. Like they're all trying to just like not entertain him at all. Um, right, they're just trying to be completely neutral about the situation. They don't want to like give in to like his like base desire. Yeah, totally. It rules. This scene rules. Yeah, and Data points out that this would also not affect him any differently because uh, same reason that he's not in control. And then he's like taunting Crusher and saying, "I, you need to choose which one of you will die." And she's like, "All right, I choose myself. Then not you. One of them. One of the three of the other guys has to die, and you have to choose." <laughs> Doing. Uh, he makes data like <laughs> rapidly point the phaser around all of them. He's going, yeah. <laughs> then and then, and then he finally makes him point it like at himself at the very end. Yeah, and he asks, uh, "What would you feel about facing your own extinction?" And data just answers, "Curious." And then the phaser. That's just a really talks. good data answer, honestly. Yeah, it is. It's accurate. Uh, and Armus is like, "Wow, you guys suck!" And the phaser just drops out of his hand. <laughs> data <laughs> says that at this point, Armus has no redeeming qualities and should be destroyed. That's his Jesus analysis. Christ, data. Yeah, <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> he's uh, done with this shit. Yeah, and so it's Picard. Picard tells him literally, like, "We're done with this. Uh, we, we're not going to be a source of your amusement." And he like turns around, like they're going to leave, uh, despite the hostages. Um. And uh, Armus was like, wait, don't go. And Picard's like, okay, but I need to see the people on the shuttle before I'll do anything for you, uh, before I'll make my, my people entertain you. Because that's, that's his idea. It's like, you can make your people entertain me. You're their captain. They listen to you. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and uh, first Armus is like, oh, no, I don't know about that. But you can see this guy and spits Riker out, like births him out with his coop. Really? He just fucking births him out. <laughs> just like a baby. He's, he's hey. even like a like a little fetal position. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> It's just all covered in tar. It's just oh. how it is when you're in the puddle. And, 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 and then uh, Riker tries to like sell himself. Like they go over to like see if he's alive, and he's just like, "Yeah, he had to spit me out. Don't worry." Was <laughs> 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 oh, that tough? Yeah, he yeah, was I getting re- he was getting frustrated. He said, "He said, oh, yeah, he, yeah. he was frustrated and had to spit me out." 
Um, I wish Record said, oh, I would have beaten his ass if you left me in there another 10 minutes. <laughs> I was going to destroy him from the inside. But Riker is so cool about this, though. He's just like, yeah, I'm fine. It's fine. I'm covered in tar, but it's all right. <laughs> That'd be a fucking harrowing experience. I would never forget that if I was enveloped by a tar monster. That'd be hell on earth. Wow. Riker's not built like you and me. He's what if special. you were... Imagine if you were sitting on a medical table remembering all the things that had happened to you. Yeah. Did you remember this? God, that maybe, there. Of course it is. Maybe it was actually pretty nice. Maybe it was like a mud bath. Oh, I don't think so, man. He was screaming in horror. Well, maybe, we, saw, we saw his face. He, he was he not was happy. Just, he was freaked out by the situation, not the experience. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure <laughs> him in there. I'm going to say. Um, probably wasn't having fun. He was able to breathe uh, down there. He was fine. So no problems. Ricard <laughs> also still says he wants to see the people in the shuttle before he'll allow his people to entertain Armas. And Armas says, well, you can't entertain me anyway. Um, and Picard's like, all right, well, we're leaving then. Uh, just be you must all back prize. Uh, actually, that's not what happens. I didn't write that down correctly. Um, Picard has the rest of them all go back up with, with Riker. Um, they send Riker to the sick bay and, and uh, everybody else goes back up and, and Picard stays and says, it's just you and me now, Armis. And Armis, uh, Armis agrees and says, okay, I'll allow it. And so the rest of them leave and it's just Picard. Uh, and he turns into his humanoid form again because he's been talking as the oil stick the whole time and uh, talks to Picard. And um, he says to Picard, you know what I really want is I want to leave this place. I want to get the fuck off this planet. And Picard says, well, you know, I have the capability of doing that, but I must see my people before I agree to anything. And I was just like, oh, fine. And finally materializes him over in the shuttle. It's yeah, in, I didn't uh, I didn't know he had transporting powers, but he does. He, he does it briefly with uh, Jordy's visor. Yeah. And it's interesting, yeah. uh, much like how in um, I believe it was Haven where there's a different uh, teleporting technology uh, or no, or is that Angel One? forget but this is yet also a different teleporting technology where it's like this black shroud that like at first envelops him and then just like phases him out and then he just kind of like pops in with a with a uh what's your name crusher so yeah no, i like, no, with Troy, I like Troy. yeah i like to change that honestly it's good consistency but also that episode was when the bow breaks when the bow breaks i'm sorry thank you yes and then and picard appears on the shuttle and he just goes over to Troy immediately and does not even look at poor dead Ben over there <laughs> until she tells him to. He's just having a nap. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he's fine. They keep saying he's alive. He's sleeping. Um, but Picard asks her real quick about the weakening energy field and what could possibly be causing it. And Troy explains that um, when he becomes emotionally vulnerable, that's when he, he becomes his powerful, becomes vulnerable. So that's we get the explanation. And she uh, tells him he's completely filled with rage at being abandoned here. So Picard now knows what he has to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Armas brings back uh, Picard from the shuttle and Picard begins to ask him about being abandoned um, and, and giving him the therapy treatment, but like less nicely than, than <laughs> Troy was doing. We just like, oh, how do you feel about, about being left here? You know, just abandoned. Um, he also says, a great poet once said, all spirits are enslaved that serves things evil. And Armas says, you do not understand. I do not serve things evil. I am evil. And Picard says, no, I don't think you are actually evil. You're just doing evil things. You're just being a big, stupid baby. And Armas is like, no, I'm a skin of evil. He literally says it. Left yeah, here that by was a, race a bit of... too much. That was way too much. <laughs> Left here by a race of titans. And and Picard's like, uh, just continuing to therapize him. I didn't write down any of this. I think I was all done with this episode at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys write down what Picard says? At all? Uh, he says, 
You know what true evil is? It's when we submit to you instead of defying you. I don't know what that means, but I don't know if yeah, that's what really evil is. Yeah, I don't really agree with that so much. Um, I would, I would make, I would say like Picard was mainly just talking about how like you've kind of like just. I really should have wrote, written more of this down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think he was saying a lot of nothing, but he was just trying to make Armas mad. Yeah, it was, it, it was a lot of just saying, like, you're going to be stuck here. You have nowhere to go. No one's going to care about you. You're immortal in this form. You're afraid of never being able to die, never being able to meet up with, like, the people that left you and just being alone your entire life. That's your greatest fear. And he's just fucking freaking out about this. Yeah, I did actually write down all that because uh, that comes really relevant because on the bridge, meanwhile, Worf is telling Wesley to watch for them when the power reaches a certain point to beam everybody back. And meanwhile, on the planet, Picard is like really trying to piss off Armas by saying all of the stuff that Hayes just said. You know, you're always going to be alone and for a mortal forever, blah, blah. I, mm-hmm. I didn't write down what he said any leading he's up like, to that, though. He's like, yeah, guess what? I'm not taking you out here. Fuck off. You suck. Bye. And then they teleport everyone onto the ship. The end. Yeah, that's the fucking resolution. While Armas is there screaming. Now he's going, no! He's like horrifying. He's like screaming. And Picard is just, yeah, he just says, we're going to abandon you here and we're going to make sure you never leave. Yeah, literally, literally, next scene is the captain. He's doing a captain's log saying they destroyed the shuttle to prevent any opportunity of Armas leaving. You, you can actually noting. see a shot uh, in the in the viewer of uh, a, like a proton missile going onto the planet and blowing something up. I, feel, I didn't see I, that. At this point, I feel bad for Armus. Like, yeah, dude. His, his life is pain, and he yeah. can't die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Figure out how to yeah. kill him. I know. Blow up the planet. Do him some kind of mercy. <laughs> Maybe that would even kill him. Maybe he's truly immortal. They should have left him like uh, a hologram of a puppy. And then <laughs> they he could make a friend. They, they, they should have left him uh, Riker's lady hologram thing. Well, especially like uh, with Picard telling him, I don't think you're actually really evil. I think that there's something in you that could possibly be redeemed. You're just choosing to act this way. But then he's like, never mind. I'm going to leave you here forever. Fuck you. Like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck, Picard? Yeah. And then, then he flags the planet uh, on the log. He says, we're flagging this planet as, uh, what's the what's the terminology? Um, just like, do not I, disturb. or like. Yeah, I didn't write down exactly <laughs> what it was. But there, yeah, like, warning, do, don't do, touch Do not come planet. here ever under any circumstance. This yeah. is not a place of honor. Yeah. No, there's no, no code of honor here. That's code of honor. <laughs> um, no, it's one of those uh, nuclear phrases that they put signs up for nuclear dump sites. Um, I'm just making it funny. Yeah, thing. I don't know. I I just like those signs. They're funny. They uh, are. Before we get to the, before we get to the epilogue, I I did like this episode. I won't say everything they were doing with like you know that all oh, the armist stuff was like perfect by any means but i, I liked the idea of it uh, of it I, I think it's what they are kind of going for the the sort of psychological kind of freudian uh stuff i i'm glad you liked it i just wish i could because i don't i fucking hate this episode it's so you know i, I actually uh i told you guys before that i did the whole rewatch about a year ago and i was trying to get all the way through season one and i, I realized i remembered this was actually the episode i started skipping season one on because uh i had like in netflix 10 minutes of it watched and i think it was like right after yar dies and i realized that the rest of the episode is just the fucking tar monster yelling at them <laughs> i was like all right goodbye i'm leaving out peace out <laughs> well, you missed That's all not... of his best pranks uh i didn't there I just so watched it again. 
I just watched it again. Don't worry. Uh, but yeah, they, they do have this nice epilogue where um, the uh, they all go to the holodeck. All the bridge crew goes to the holodeck, and they have uh, it was Tasha's last wishes that they they watch this recording that she had made. So that we get this hologram Tasha, and it's this nice uh, setting, like this green field with blue skies. Um, a, a friend of mine always jokes that it's the Windows wallpaper. Uh, yeah, I wrote I that. Thinking about I wrote that. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Windows XP wallpaper. Uh... That's where you have your funerals is on the Windows XP wallpaper. Oh. I actually love that it looks like that rather than them just like filming on a like genuine like you know hill somewhere. It just does feel like this fucking like you, you know manufactured place where they're paying her honors. Yeah, it's it's so artificial looking, but it is it's, it 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 fits like there's something about it yeah. that fits nicely. But right, she right. has uh all these messages for like every single person um telling them like don't feel bad about my death i died doing what i what i was loved i um i was so happy to have known you all etc i didn't write down all the messages but she gives like an individual message for every person Riker, um, you're the best <laughs> she did say that that was the first thing she said actually <laughs> we're supposed to lead um, off from there come on man <laughs> well she she gives a, it, it i honestly like I didn't run to write down at all because I feel I would have felt like we would have to like read it verbatim. Right? Um, no, no. She, go, she just go basically find says, it on YouTube or something if you haven't seen the episode uh, London. I guess. <laughs> I, I, I do like that she says uh, uh, Data has like a childlike wonderment uh, towards everything he experiences in the world. He has this like curiosity and innocence to him. Yeah, and the stuff well, she said to Troy too about how just knowing Troy made her feel better about wanting to be a woman and wanting knowing that she could still be a badass and also be pretty. You know, I really yeah. like that stuff. Yeah, I thought it was weird that she said, "You see things with the wonder of a child, and that makes you more human than any of us." I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> you you gonna expand on that? No. Okay. No. He's dead. What she, do you want? Her death message, man. She just was thinking of nice things to say to her friends. And she did. And uh, the tears on, I want to note too with this episode uh, in the scene were genuine because they were very sad about uh, not working with Denise Crosby anymore. Oh. Especially um, Marina Sirtis and her were, I guess, good friends. Marina Sirtis, who plays Troy, were good friends. And she was real sad about her friend leaving the show. So, mm. yeah. It's a bummer. We get one final um, exchange between Picard and Data. Yeah, um, and I love this exchange too because uh, Data asks uh, Card if he missed the point of the gathering, if, if the because um, the purpose of it confused him, because his thoughts were not for Tasha but for himself uh, and and how he would miss her, and uh, Picard tells him no, that that's exactly the point. You got it, and he walks away and just leaves Data there alone. Sweet, it actually made me kind of like uh, made me choke up a little bit. I thought it was really yeah, sweet it's definitely it's a nice little uh, nice send off. It, it was a nice send off. It's too bad the rest of the episode uh, was not a nicer send off because I uh, really like they should have given her more heroic ending than that than just like trying to walk over a tar monster and then getting flung across for no reason. Like literally like, the most literal meaningless death. Like they even say in the episode that the death was entirely meaningless. Yeah. I think. If you had a character that did anything before this, then that would be something that would work. But it yeah. really feels like piling on um, with uh, how this season went. So. Yeah. We'll miss our friend Poochie. No. <laughs> um, 
Tasha, no. I died on the way back to our home planet. <laughs> no, actually, I have a I have a fun little spoiler for you, Hasten. I will not elaborate it on it at all. But uh, Denise Crosby does do a couple of guest spots in the show later on. I'm so. aware of one of them. One of them involves time shenanigans. Damn it! I was hoping that you did not know about that, so that it could be a surprise. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I am aware. It's okay. You can just uh, forget by the time we reach that. Years. It's from in now. season three. Oh, it's in season three. It'll be oh. it'll be fast enough. Okay. Um, one thing I was going to uh say is um I recently learned of. Did you read that one? Uh, did you read that one? The Denise Crosby tweet about her responding to one of the old like uh, TNG producers about how she left the show and everything. Where I forget who it was, but he was saying like, "Oh, it's how she are. She was great to work with. Remember on the last day, her last day of filming on uh, Skin of Evil. You know, we we all had a big group hug and we say we'll miss you so much. And oh man, Tasha Yar, she was so great. And um, Denise Crosby, he uh, she responds saying." Actually, my last episode was out of order. I was on symbiosis as my last filmed episode. And you snatched the uh, communicator off me and said, you won't be needing this anymore. And then just walked away from me. That was my last experience on the set. I do kind of remember seeing that tweet. Oh, man. So Uh, it's like, you wonder why, like, she doesn't doesn't have any. I would have to look it up. I'm not, I don't remember who it is. Just I remember reading that and being like, yeah, I don't wonder she fucking left. That fucking atmosphere, man. (laughs) That's miserable. I hopefully it was somebody that doesn't do much work on the show after season two. Um, Yeah, really. Well, that was apparently a lot of the writers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, so that was Skin of Evil. Uh, After the break, we're going to be talking about We'll Always Have Paris, which um, is an episode of the show that we can talk about for uh, some amount of time. Yeah. Stay tuned. It's come back after the break. Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll be right back. And we are back. We're going to be talking now about We Will Always Have Paris, or We'll Always Have Paris, I guess is the name of the episode. But this is uh, episode 24, season one, TNG. Uh, first aired on May 2nd, 1988. This was written by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Schuer, uh, directed by Robert Becker. And the in-universe date is 41697.9, year 2364. This is the episode where Captain Picard uh, encounters a flame from his youth, like an old old lover, old girlfriend, uh, while they're uh, looking into some things that are happening because of time experiments. Some things are fucking up. Some time fuckery. We got some time fuckery episode. episode. I always, yeah, I always I like love time me fuckery. some time fuckery. Time fuckery, yeah. time fuckery can be fun. It, it, it depends on the kind of time time fuckery um, and how you utilize it. I like it yeah. here where it's more of a temporal in your own time sort of thing rather than like a time travel thing. If that makes sense. It's it's in this one. It's more like a multiverse dealy. Yes. Yes. 100%. And I love I love me some multiverse dealies. There's a, a really, really good multiverse dealy episode in uh, season seven. So in, in like five years, get ready for that episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I love that fucking episode. I'm this episode's all right. It. This episode um, is uh, forgettable, I, I believe I said at the top of the show. Um, so it's Skin of Evil. Skin of Evil is not forgettable because Tashiar dies in it. Aha. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Everyone remembers it. I, 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 told, I was joking before. Like I've, I've looked at the numbers of the podcast and I don't feel bad out there, anybody, if you do this, because I, it's, I totally understand it. But a lot of people only listen to shows or episodes, shows about episodes that they actually know or care about. And I'm expecting Skin of Evil to get a lot of listens. <laughs> I, <laughs> because everybody knows Skin of Evil. 
I was not expecting um, out of season one here. I was not expecting so much about, of the show to center solely, not just about Picard specifically, but about the romance of Picard. Have you, have you noticed that? Like, that's a lot mm-hmm. of this season. Yeah. Like, so many episodes. You know, obviously, most of it is concerning Crusher. But, like, that that is a, a constant theme. And I actually, part of me dislikes this episode because I feel like it just turns... Uh, crusher into like this like high schooler that like is feeling jealous of picard in this moment in this episode and i i just feel like it's a little out of character for her personally yeah and i feel like it's out of character for him too uh it's it's harder to tell early on but uh later on in the series like you look back on it thinking like it's strange that he would act that way about an old love although we do get like some consistency of his personality of like him being a big commitment phobe that stays with us forever because he is. Yeah, I, I like that part specifically of this episode, but the rest of it of him like pining over an old love, I, I, it just it seemed out of out of character as well. I totally agree. Yeah, mm. yeah. Probably. You don't agree, McPherson? No, I think that's true. Um, I don't know. It seemed. I wouldn't say. Well, I don't know. It seemed out of character, yes, but it was also like kind of. I don't know. It felt I I got some some uh what's the word? I got some vibes from it that were relatable. Right, totally. Um it's just maybe and, and not maybe not they, for these characters, you know. I get why they drove the episode in the way they did, because they had to give Picard a reason to really care. Even though there's like points where he's just like stammering over himself, it just seems so weirdly out of character for him specifically. But like I get like they had to give him this motivation to um, try and want to connect with this person that he once knew and once had like serious feelings for. Yeah, and I appreciate it, honestly, because like I said, I'd I'd forgotten about this episode uh, like completely. And so watching it again, it was almost like watching it for the first time. And it it is a part of Picard's history that isn't necessarily unavoidable. But this was probably his only real love in life, you know. So his reactions do kind of make sense in that in that perspective. Yeah. Um, he has one but, other uh, life. Is it the Enterprise? No. It is Paris France? <laughs> <laughs> oh my fucking god! <laughs> I thought you were gonna say books. <laughs> he does love some Shakespeare too. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so the, the Enterprise is en route to Serona 8 for shore leave. Much needed shore leave, he says. But uh, Picard is saying this in a log. He says he's starting before the rest of the crew. And we get the scene of Picard fencing. He's in like the Enterprise on for gym. so long. It's a very long fencing scene. <laughs> he loves fencing. He loves France. He loves fencing in France. He's fencing with Lieutenant Dean, who Ooh. is never seen again. <laughs> he killed him. Picard killed him. Oh, man. <laughs> he's just this sweaty guy because he's fencing. But it's funny how sweaty he is. I also really, I, I noted, I really liked how uh, their, their shiny space fencing gear was. Like, they have, like, iridescent silvery fencing gear. Mm-hmm. It's really cool looking. Anyway, they have this extended fencing scene. Um, you can tell that Lieutenant Dean is supposed to be the better fencer, but Picard is like, they're uh, doing a big thing and finally Picard gets a point on him and they, they're like ah oh, they take off their helmets and um the guy's like oh what technique was that and Picard answers jokingly the technique of a desperate man haha but then what happens reverse 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 
they go yeah, back in time. time. Time goes backwards, and they say the same lines again, and then they look at each other like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> That's <laughs> fucked up. I yeah. also I wanted to mention one thing that we've we've reused so many sets. We've had so many crappy sets. We've had so many crappy sound stages. The brig was just some room they had off to the side. We have an entirely unique fencing set. What is going on yeah, here? This is like weird because you would think they would just go on the holodeck or something to yeah. no, they, they actually like this establishes they actually have a gym like a real gym on the enterprise because we do see it used a little bit in the future too uh, mm-hmm. for the same kind of purpose so it's nice that they they've got this little i don't think it's specifically for fencing but it's a little gym room that they're how using we, for fencing yeah. how have we never seen this used for anything else before it's like this like dark kind of like metal with like white lights everywhere it's like this really unique looking space. We haven't seen anything like it in the show so far. And it's just fucking here the whole time. It's crazy. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why this like surprised me. It just, it just did. Well, maybe it oh, just yeah. got built for this episode. It probably the, did, the, yeah. The, the iconic fencing scene episode. We're going to need to do a lot of fencing in this show in the future. Maybe they intended to. Maybe they were going to have Picard do fencing once a month. <gasps> that would be so cool. Once the basketball He could have fenced a multiverse version of himself. Well, that's not uh, until season five. <laughs> um. So Picard hails the bridge and saying, "Like, did you guys just see that?" And Picard was like, "Yeah, we experienced some kind of time loop up here." Uh, All right, I'm coming to the bridge. Picard goes to the bridge in his fencing and gear with a towel. <laughs> love, <laughs> he looks. It. He looks great, by the way. He's. I'm not being sarcastic. He looks so fucking cool in his fencing outfit. Yeah. He's like he's too, walking he's like out playing of... with the towel. He's like flicking the towel yeah. like, real coolly. It looks like he's just fucking walked out of the gym and he's ready to call a big business meeting. And like at this point, you know, Patrick Stewart is obviously, I assume, not a very young fella here. He's like 50 something, right? He's 40 something, I think. Late late 40s. He's in good shape here still. Like he's clearly like, you know, still working the gym and everything. Like he's he's doing well for himself. I mean, I'm I'm sure like uh, I, I haven't actually watched Picard yet, but he's still doing TV. So I'm sure he's still in shape. Right. Like he's still playing I, the character. I've seen some clips of that, and he's definitely uh, 70 years old. Well, you know, mm. it happens. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. But uh, go on. Oh, uh, so Data informs them that the computers were also affected. So it wasn't just some illusion, but they were actually in a time fluctuation. Uh, and then they receive an emergency transmission from a nearby system from uh, Dr. Paul Mannheim. And when when Picard hears this name, his, his eyes like open like, oh, I know that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. urgently asking for help from all nearby ships and it gives coordinates to go to and uh, Bacard does only seem to know him um, and immediately orders to go to the coordinates and Riker asks him do you think there's some connection between this Dr. Mannheim and the time loop and Picard's like yeah the guy was actually a physicist studying nonlinear time so he's probably associated with this <laughs> he had left the Federation some years ago to pursue his uh, his knowledge and so we get a cut back from the intro and, and Riker says, uh, he's, I've never heard of this Dr. Mannheim. And Picard like looks to Data like, hey, my encyclopedia, man, please tell Riker who he is. <laughs> we, need, we need this exposition robot. We paid a lot of money to get this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Data tells him he was a visionary scientist with many intriguing theories about time, especially relating to time and gravity. But his theories did not gain acceptance. And so Picard goes on to explain that uh, 15 years ago, he assembled a team of scientists and uh, they left to go study time. Um, and Riker asks, uh, oh, did you know the guy? And Picard's like, mm, no. And this, he's also, I should note, still in his fencing outfit. And this is when he's beating the towel against his lap. Um, says, no, I didn't know him personally, but he was in Paris when I was studying there. So uh, I knew of him. Uh, but I never got to met the, meet the man myself. And then he leaves to go change. 
I wrote down. Oh, I just said I wrote down. We need more scenes in TV shows where there's just a guy swinging a towel around. I agree. I love it. It was very charismatic. Yeah, Patrick Stewart is such a great actor because you know that was just off the cuff, just him like playing there with the towel, you know. And it it is super charismatic. I don't. I love it. Um, but Troy stops him saying like, Hey, I can tell there's something else going on here. Like you got some intense emotion when the guy's name came up. Uh, and Picard doesn't really acknowledge her. It's just like, like, what do you, what are you saying this for? It's don't worry about it. And Troy's like, well, I feel like you should take this time maybe to analyze your feelings before we arrive. So, you know, you don't make any lapses of judgment and stuff. And he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he goes back <laughs> to the gym and is like brushing off his, his rapier very uh, thoroughly thinking about the past. Um, so he gets changed. He's in his uniform and he's going to the bridge and the turbo lift and he belays that and uh, goes to the holodeck instead. And what does he do in the holodeck? This is the only form of therapy they have on this fucking ship. Certainly not (laughs) Troy. They have a therapist on the fucking show. Nobody wants to talk to her. No one wants to talk to her. They just want to go to the fun fun palace here on the ship. (laughs) I want a scene where Troy says, oh, sorry, I'm booked solid. And you look at her planning book and she's got no appointments because (laughs) no one ever goes to her. So French, uh, sorry. So Picard um, goes to the holodeck. He's like, "Mon ami, I love the France. Take me to a a cafe in Paris, please." He doesn't say it like that. I don't think he said that. that. (laughs) You know, he he goes specifically for the Cafe des Artistes. Uh, for 22 years ago, he says he wants it exactly as it was 22 years ago. And he goes in and he's seated by a waiter, which I do have a note here from Memory Alpha, that this waiter is the only person in this scene who actually is a French speaker, I believe. He so greets keep Picard by saying, again, with my accent, mm-hmm. Hello, Picard, how are you today? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a seat here, sir? How about over uh, here? <laughs> I don't think yeah, he but- says, Hello, Picard. He doesn't say hello, he says, hello, oh, sir. Hello, sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he goes over um, and says, no, I want to show this at this table over here. And he's, oh, okay. And Picard walks over and he looks at the view. And we see this really nice view of like future Paris. It's got the Eiffel Tower. It's got some future Star Trek buildings in it. You know, it's a nice view. Yeah, some space cars flying around and everything. Yeah, and the waiter's trying to serve him some food, but Picard's like, oh, I really only came here for the view. I don't want to eat. Uh, and he goes to someone to tell the hologram waiter that, uh, oh, I was supposed to meet someone here 22 years ago, but, you know, the meeting didn't have an end up happening. And uh, he's like, oh, she didn't show up, huh? And he's like, no, actually, I was the one that didn't show up. Oh, oh okay. Actually, he says, and I quote, your young lady, she did not come. <laughs> and Picard <laughs> says, oh, actually, I don't know. I always imagined that she did. (laughs) I didn't shake up on that. Oh, my God. You can't say that. He said it. It wasn't me. I hope she came. If she came, it wasn't because of me, though. Um. (laughs) 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 So he sits down, and at the table next to him, there's two women also speaking in French accents, uh, Fran and Gabrielle, and they're talking about someone not showing up like someone stood up gabrielle and fran's like oh you're stupid for waiting for him he's an idiot you should show up to appointments and meetings and um she gets up and walks away and picard's just staring at gabrielle and at this point i'm wondering like 
how accurate is the holodeck getting 22 years ago is this supposed what to be the woman mean? yeah how does it like know all this like information like was this actually like is this like basing this off of like security cameras and they know some of this like happened from 22 years ago and it's creating like this approximation of events was she maybe like this character he's talking to was actually inspired by like data they had of that day of that moment of conversations that were overheard well before, you, you, like, you know like as the episode progresses we learn that that is not the same woman but you in this scene you think like maybe this is supposed to be the same woman that he knew 22 years ago right right well uh, what and, i'm thinking, what, like, what what I'm thinking is like th- this is like the ai upscaling of like people models that they would have where like they don't li- literally have all the people 100 percent right but they have like these kind of vague moments like recreated on the holodeck that maybe already happened in history. What if like the computer read Picard's diary and it just <laughs> based, based it off of that? Oh, no, I think weird. my, my theory is that, um, that it was just a, either a coincidence or that the uh, computer was actually listening to him tell the waiter about this. And so it decided to like do some AI shit and make that part of the narrative of the holodeck. Maybe so. By the way, the, this woman is wearing the most revealing dress I've ever seen in my entire life. That's it's a not dress. true. Did you see? It's like her entire chest is out. Are you serious? It's her yes. chest isn't out, is it? I'm going to take, take a photo. You guys, there's a, I'm, I'm there's a, a picture of it, but I'm going to say there have been many more revealing dresses in existence of culture. Oh, yeah. No, dude, I culture. dress like that sometimes. That's, that's not that revealing. <laughs> Maybe okay. Maybe it was just the shot I had where like you couldn't see like the left side of her uh, for a second. But at some at one point, I was just like, "Is she wearing anything?" <laughs> she's just she's just got her shoulder thing has fallen down onto one arm. Right. Yeah, right. and the dress had like a midriff exposed, right? Like it was just like she had yeah. this pop covering her boobs, and yeah, that's not that low cut, dude. Okay, that's reasonable. I, I wear I wear necklines like I just that. Don't trust the, I just don't trust the French. Well, I mean, they do like nudity. It's fine. It's fine to be naked. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, as I mean, as a principle. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Also, um, <laughs> no, so Picard's staring no over at Gabrielle, and uh, Gabrielle looks back at him and is like, "Do we know each other? Do I remind you of somebody?" And uh, he's like, "No. Well, maybe a little." And uh, they start talking about her situation, um, and sa- she says, "I just, I don't know what I did to drive this guy away." And he says, well, maybe you didn't do anything. Maybe the guy uh, had no choice and couldn't show up. Or, um, you know, maybe he was just afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of uh, being rooted somewhere. Um, and he's just having this conversation with the girl and, uh, like, gets up and stands up in the middle of it. And is like, oh, enough of this self-indulgence and walks away, <laughs> leaves the holodeck. You know, um, I think it's what I thought of here is that it's sad that it's in the year 2300 they haven't invented cell phones yet but it's just how yeah. it is yeah you know it, they're, they're it, just... it is incredible like you know they did predict like there being like a thing like an analog to facetime where you can use screens as like viewers for looking at each other and talking to each other but like they never would have thought in a million years that like oh that's technology you could transfer to your fucking pocket and just do it anytime anywhere as long as you're within like a signal of something right like, yeah, it, everybody always yeah. predicted uh like face telephones. That was that's always been a thing that people thought was coming at some that, point. That was like that was in Space Odyssey 2001 from the 60s, yeah. late 60s, right? Like yeah, that's always been a thought. It's just no one ever could have predicted 
that you would just be able to do it anywhere. They also would have predicted, never would have predicted that nobody would ever want to fucking do it ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also this the is... internet too is another thing that you just never saw in sci-fi ever, but it's such a thing that's changed life immensely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, I can't, I guess it depends. I think that's more of like, you see that sometimes, but not in everything that was written before the 90s. Right. I, so I, like there were cell phones at this time in the 80s, just like very, you know, primitive ones. But yeah, yeah, it's su- surprising that I don't know. I would have thought they might have, uh, you know, had those exist, <laughs> but mm-hmm. they opted do, not to, though. Do you know why cell phones are called cell phones? Because they are made up of cells, just like a human. Uh, it's because Why? it's because Amer- uh, it is because of uh, the way American infrastructures work. It uh, has always worked where every plot of land is divided into a cell, and they need a tower to cover every to cover every cell in America. So you have cell phones. Oh, oh I'm gonna forget that immediately. It's um, because when you're <laughs> on the phone, you're in jail. Oh no! Also, that's true. Yeah, that, that makes more sense phone. to me. <laughs> the, so, the, other uh, thing, the other thing i just wanted to say was just that i love this by picard where the moment he has any kind of self-actualizing about like his own emotions and feelings he fucking hates it and just wants to leave it immediately and here yeah. he can do that without any kind of repercussion but later on he's going to be locked into that situation where he, he's forced to kind of confront those feelings because he can't just walk out yeah, honestly that's it, that's just it, good writing because that's great. very that's how somebody would react in that situation almost any time uh, is if, if you're confronting like serious issues with yourself, everybody's reaction is to be like, ah, uh, fuck this. I'm shutting down. Goodbye. Yeah. yeah like I've been, and he has maybe, that option here. even if like we say, this isn't like the most exciting episode ever, but I think I thought it was really well written in those, those kind of ways. So yeah, yeah. Totally. there's, there's some plot parts that kind of fall apart. And I mentioned earlier too, that this was the first one affected by the writer strike. So they had a big delay from filming the ending. Cause it wasn't written yet. So they had to wait for it to be able to be written because there was <laughs> the uh, strike of writers. Um, but uh, so some of the, some of the continuity stuff, I feel like falls apart at the end, but the character <laughs> scenes like this are, are great. They really, and I, I love any, you can, you can have Patrick Stewart fucking do any scene in the show ever. And I love it probably you could have his uh you have him just like narrate like paint drying and he'd find a way to make it like fascinating somehow oh they do that in a couple episodes (laughs) (laughs) um but uh um uh, (laughs) so Riker he gets to the back to the bridge and Riker tells him that uh, a freighter and a farming colony had also had the same uh time distortion as the enterprise so it's not just localized to them but it's it's throughout the whole sector uh, and Picard asks Data if he's uncovered anything else about Mannheim, but Data still only knows what Picard knows, which is that Mannheim was here to do time-gravity experiments. So then they arrive at the coordinates given, but there's nothing there except for a message with new coordinates. <laughs> so like, what Thanks the fuck is all the security? Yeah. So they send a, they go to the new coordinates. They're in a remote binary system, says Jordy. Um, and they arrive at the coordinates. Uh, do you think, like, they, like, finished cutting the episode and they realized they needed to fill, like, two more minutes of space? You know what I mean? Maybe. <laughs> and they were just like, "Shit, man, we have we have to fill two more minutes, and we don't have any other footage." Uh, you know, they, they they need new new coordinates. Go go go! Just get on set real quick. No, I um, think they're, they're trying to establish that they have a lot of security measures in place for the uh, time experiment. So I think that's what it was. No, for. you're probably right. 
It's just so absurd we have to sit through this. Yeah, maybe there's a lot of... Usually there's a lot of cut material, maybe, and this time they needed all of it. Who can say? (laughs) Uh, So they get there and they find that there's a force field all around the planet in the system and it's not penetrable, but they can get audio through it. So Picard hails the planet and there's this cute scene where uh, he starts to hail the planet and say his name, but he stops himself in the middle and says, "Uh, this is the captain of of the Enterprise. <laughs> it's really help. cute. I like that. And the, yeah, and uh, Jordy and Data gave each other a look like, what is he doing? <laughs> but a woman responds saying that she's glad that they're there. Uh, it's only the two of them left. And uh, he's having some convulsions. And he's like, well, we can't get through the force field. Is there some way that you can disable it? And she's like, oh, let me let me see if I can figure it out. And she does manage to figure it out. And they beam them to sickbay. Yay! Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they say the thing kind of. <laughs> sort of. Nobody said it directly, but they say it close enough. Also, uh, they get... Picard is like acting all agitated and nervous during all this, and it's like, it's like the force field is down. He's like, "Yes, good." He's very yeah, pumped up yeah. about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and immediately too, he gets up and they go to the sick bay, and he's like, "I'm gonna go meet him at the sick bay," and he's like, uh, "I guess you guys can come with me." And points at my current data. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so get to, the... to me, it was like he was really excited to go go down and meet her, and then like he realizes how he's looking in front of everybody. So he's like, uh, "Riker, come with me. Uh, this is for business. Uh, this is for business. Obviously, obviously. Come on, let's go." <laughs> <laughs> um, and in the sick bay, we see uh, Doctor Crusher's there, and then um, a woman and a convulsing man appear on the floor, beamed in. Uh, this woman's outfit, dude. You want to talk about the woman in the holodeck's outfit? She, there's no sides to her shirt. There's just no sides there. Yeah, that was yeah. really funny. Um, she's got the uh, unlimited side boob works uh, outfit going on here. <laughs> it seems extremely uncomfortable. It's like you couldn't lift your arms up without flashing everybody. Which again, she's French. Maybe she's into that. <laughs> and, and and like yeah, and um and and also just like there'd be a constant breeze. It'd be so uncomfortable at all times. Well, you know, it would be good if it was hot. Like I can see that if you're in somewhere really hot, then you get that breeze through your and touching your boobs and stuff right right but they're 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 in the future they have temperature controlled climates all the time always yeah it's gotta be an extremely uncomfortable outfit i don't get it anyway (laughs) she the crusher asks how long he's been convulsing and she's like oh it's happened a few hours ago and i don't know what to do so dr crusher starts running tests on him and then uh picard walks in and just starts stammering at the back of the woman's head (laughs) and she turns around and recognizes him like oh jean luc and everybody's like oh they know each other Wow. Um, but uh, she uh, he introduces her. This is Riker and Data, and um, her name is Janice Mannheim. Dun 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 dun. She's his wife. The... Yeah, we learn that the, she's the wife of the convulsing man immediately. Um, I like every time Picard... that Data gets introduced. He's like, "This is my android, Data. He's a robot." <laughs> <laughs> they really have to tell it everybody. I, I don't even write it down and think about it because it's well, like, yeah, he's an android. Everyone's so always every like, time what the is the deal with it? this guy? Why is he yellow? <laughs> man so weird he's a south american um i still love that from that one episode that's so good uh picard wants to ask her questions and the four of them walk into crusher's office and she sits down and uh and at first he starts off like well what happened to the rest of your crew there was like 15 people and she says well everybody else had been working at the second lab and then there was a big accident and they were all killed Uh, she doesn't know the details of the accident or really many details about her husband's work at all uh she just knows that um that Paul believed that time was immutable and that he believed in a, a multiverse and that if you knew how to uh, control time, 
that you could get into like a get a window into other universes. Mark, um pop quiz. What does immutable mean? Uh not changeable. Okay. Isn't that what it means? I don't know. That's why I was asking you. That's what it means. Yeah. Immutable means not not changeable. Okay. Uh, she 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 says specifically that Paul believed time was uh um because I, I just heard, listen, I'm not going to say my vocabulary is great. I heard immutable and I was just thinking like, oh, so you can't hear it. <laughs> no, it means not changeable. Like, um, he, believe, he never believed that time could not be changed. He, he believed it was more like space. Because we space is mutable. Like you can move things around. You can pick up a desk and put it over there. You know, space is a mutable mm-hmm. thing. So this Paul Mannheim believes that time is also mutable if you can uh, control it, if you can figure out how to control it. Um, so that's what the, their experiments were here to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Riker says at this point, which begins to explain what happened. And I'm like, how? <laughs> Does that explain what happened <laughs> at all? Um, yeah, something fucked up. Yeah, something with time changed, I guess. But she's surprised to learn that they've been experiencing things on the Enterprise. And that uh, it's not just like the Enterprise, but like the whole sector has also been experiencing shit. Um, and she doesn't know exactly why they're here at this planet, but that uh, she knows that the team had searched for it for close to two years to find it for this exact location to do their experiments. Uh, and Data's like, oh, the binary stars. Yes, yes. Hmm. The binary. Yeah, something, something about the binary system is like it's it's extra gravity so that they needed it for their experiments. Yeah, maybe like the extra dense gravity or something. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of zonked out during a lot of the like fake techno babble. I'm going to be totally honest. It doesn't matter hmm. too much. It's funny because binary stars are the more common in real life than single stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They're that's why I think all there's something special the about special about this one in particular that maybe because it only had one planet circling it, and maybe it was like an extra heavy binary system. I don't fucking know. But anyway, uh, she knows that he was very close to proving his theories before the accident, um, but she didn't have any idea that the experiments were dangerous. But then she thinks back on it, and she's like, "Well." You know, uh, he did start taking a lot of precautions, like he put the force field up and uh, he made me stay in like a protected room, he called it. Anytime he started an experiment, mm. it's like, do you think this might have been a little dangerous, lady? Come on. A little, little dangerous. Uh, she's just there to support her husband. She's not worried about the whole, you know, danger of fucking with time part of, of things. <laughs> she trusts him. I'm sure it's going to be fine. What is the uh, worst this- that could happen? Um, and then, then uh, she starts talking about familiar stuff with Picard because they knew each other. And Dr. Crusher at this point is like walking in and like standing in the doorway awkwardly listening. But I, I, uh, I, hated, I hated the way she's written this. Up. Sorry, go on. <laughs> but uh, she's just like, oh, how have you been? We haven't seen each other in so long. Uh, it looks like you finally achieved your dreams of being here. And he's like, oh, you know, they say sometimes uh, you don't always uh, it's not always what you expected. Some bullshit. I didn't actually write down any of this. Because <laughs> it was just sort of like, like obviously they know each other from the past and they were close, um, right? But he he tells her that he needs to send a team down to the lab to find out more, and she says, "Oh, you you can't do that. It's protected. It's like a security system that somebody set up uh, to keep anybody out." Um, and Crusher at this point interrupts and says, uh, "Doctor Manheim is resting, but he needs to have uh, Janice undergo. She needs to have Janice undergo some tests to make sure she's going to be all right as well." Uh, and so Janice is like, oh, all right. And she stands up and gives Picard a kiss on the cheek and she walks out of the room and uh, Picard awkwardly turns to Riker and Data. She's an old friend. Um, actually, no, Dr. Crusher is what he says this to. And Dr. Crusher's like, yeah, I could, I gathered. Uh, but oh, Dr. Crusher that. tells yeah, tells him that she believes that Mannheim is dying because his neurochemistry has been affected somehow, but she doesn't know why or how. Uh, but they're unable to talk to him yet because he has to rest. 
Mm-hmm. So then, uh... Oh, I was just gonna say, um, Janice is played by Michelle Phillips, who was, before an actor, a member of the musical group The Mamas and the Papas. Oh, that's a fun fact. That's a fact. Um... So we get this great time fuckery scene now where Picard, Data, and Riker walk over to the turbo lift and they're talking about, oh, you know, the effects of the time experiments are being felt wider out, uh, Data says, and, and Riker thinks that they won't be able to do anything without Mannheim's help. Uh, the three of them step into the turbo lift and when the door opens again, guess who's standing outside the door? Is the three of them again. Uh, <laughs> oh. repeating the exact same thing he just said, but then all of them look at each other and look at themselves and they're like, huh, that's weird. And this scene fucks with me by the original three leaving the turbo lift, and then we're left with the three that are sitting in the hallway, and they're going. It's so us? good. That's the best part of this entire episode. <gasps> that threw me for a fucking loop. Then, just, I love they, it. They, they, they go with the continuity of the new trio of uh, people that we just you know run into because they're still the same people, just from a different. It's so good. I love that. Yeah, then, that data starts okay. to explain. Those, those were us, but just from the the future. They were on a future timeline. Well, they're yeah. from the past. Whoa. But actually, or the, maybe they're from the future. I don't know. My they, thing they, they is, what, happened, what happened to the first people? They never show up again. We don't have two people after well, this. Okay, what so happened what, what happens them? here, the idea is that like the timelines... Uh, like So say every... This is getting extremely theoretical, and I'm talking out of my ass largely. But the stuff with the multiverse stuff is like every moment in time like exists in infinite dimensions, basically. So like a second from now is exists simultaneously with uh where you are is right now. You know what I mean? So what these experiments are doing is actually fucking with that and breaking down that barrier. So you're seeing they're seeing future timeline selves them. And past time themselves in because they're interacting. But when they get back in the turbo uh, lift and go to the bridge, that timeline's going to separate. So they're back in their normal timeline and their normal continuity, and they're separated again. Does that make sense? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think when free kind of. Literally, what happens to that trio after they descend the lift and get off and start doing things on the ship? Are, are, there, like, just, the, are there two sets of those uh, members on the ship? Maybe they know. just no. maybe eventually the ripple fades away and they that, that's what I'm saying. They suck back into each other. Yeah, I think they just well, match rematch continuity at some point. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what happens. It's different from what happened the first one we saw at the beginning of the episode. So it's like hard right. for me to get a handle on it. Well, I, I think the, the when you think about it, the start of the episode is kind of a um, they kind of use a different rule there because in the very first moment, what we get is a reversal of time, not a time ripple. Whereas what we get here is a separation of events that are kind of separated by like a second. You don't, you know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. kind of like they they aren't very consistent with it in that regard. And the end of the episode is more is more aligning with the rules of what happens at the midpoint of the episode, where you know there's the separated, uh, you know, there's the two groups separated by like a sec, a few seconds apart. So it, well, it's okay. There's a reason for this though. They were further away from where this experiment was actually taking place before, so they're not getting the full effect of the experiment. Their consciousness is hiccuping back in time, but they're not actually getting in like two different views 
I don't. I wish that I had words better to explain this to you guys, but like it I, makes perfect sense because when they're closer to where the source of the experiments are, that's when they're actually starting to to get the diverging multiverses and seeing each other uh, as as separately, and especially when when the, uh, the scene where data is like right at the window, and there's just so many of them when the time event happens. You yeah. know, it's just a, it's a proximity thing. But, what, and, what uh, I mean is that okay, so like. You know, they're really far away from the event happening and the event still isn't very strong. So the first time they feel the the hiccup, the ripple, um, it's just like you kind of see their hands are just like millimeters apart because it's not that strong, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is it doesn't make any sense for them to go back in time and experience going back in time and then being able to acknowledge that because that's not really the effect for the rest of the episode. They didn't, though. That's not what happened. Is that not what happened? No, they, they they didn't go back in time. There's there two sets of so there's two sets of enterprises that are existing. Uh, no, no, in, I, I get it. Okay, but like, I, I, let's move on. Let's just fucking move on. <laughs> email, you, email if you if you agree with Hayes and if Hayes is right. No. I'm right about this one. This one I do I do know. Uh, I know this multiverse shit, and it, it makes sense. I just can't explain it well. I'm not good at talk. <sighs> That's why I wanted to host a podcast. Sorry, <laughs> right, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm getting. I'm. 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 Uh, I'm being annoying about this. Let's let's move on. It is very confusing to me. I, I, okay. It makes perfect sense to me. I'm just not able to explain it. At least not without like drawing something on the screen or something. <laughs> um. So, uh, I lost Universe my place. My notes. Right? Um, so we were just getting, um, they were just experiencing the time ripple near the turbo lift. They were like, wow, yeah. that's fucked up. And they descend the turbo lift. Yeah. The type, the turbo lift comes back and they, they get back in it and go back up to the bridge. And then in the ready room, Riker and data come in and they've, uh, learned that the second lab is entirely destroyed. Uh, and they can sense that there's an immense amount of energy deep in the planet concentrated near Mannheim's lab. And data thinks that he's figured out how to harness the energy from the pulsar. Uh, in the binary system, which is what they uh, they need Mannheim's notes, basically, from the lab to figure this out, though. Mm-hmm. Um, Picard is, is concerned about the security system at the lab. And Riker thinks, well, maybe because the force field got lowered by uh, Janice, it, it, it'll it work now. Like, you just go in there. So they try. Um, what like, happens they when like, they try? You think they could just, like, send over a piggy bank the first time as a test? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, we gotta send yeah. a living person. You gotta... They, you send, gotta... <laughs> they send them over and they're like the the beam onto the beamed people start showing up in the lab but they're kind of like wavering and yeah fading out like uh like it's like a like uh uh a tv a weak tv signal where it's all fuzzy and changing colors and everything yeah they can't materialize you feel like they're about to get fucking galaxy quested in this moment it's so horrifying, dude. All those transporter stuff when it starts to go wrong is really scary. Um, so the the tour technician and the transporter chief is like trying to figure out how to get them back, and is like struggling just to get them back because they mm-hmm. can't they can't in, uh, materialize at the landing site. Um, so he then manages to pull like uh, Data and Riker, but not Worf. <laughs> and you're thinking like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> But he gets Worf a second later, and it's like, oh, thank God. And Riker's, like, looking around confused, like, why are we back here, not in the lab? And the chief's like, you're lucky you made it back here at all, sir. Like, Jesus. <laughs> you oh. think that there would be, like, an automatic system where it tries to, like, send over specks of dust before it spring- before it sends over, like, organ- organisms just to make sure it actually, like, works, right? Like, no, we can't, we can't test those things. We just got to 
Gotta yeah. still keep wood uh, in the fire. We'll do it the it's first pro- time. It's probably working. <laughs> this, this, this is just like with like Chief Engineer Lynch, where he's just like, oh, I'll just stick the crystals in here. We're not going to, we don't have to test for anything. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> it's not like the ship's going to Horrible gonna OSHA standards way, here on Starfleet. Let's set the antimatter ratio entirely wrong. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Mannheim wakes up in the sick bay, uh, and he doesn't remember sending the distress signal because Janice is like, uh, oh, he's like, how did we get here? And Janice is like, oh, they received your distress signal. He's like, I sent one. What? Um, and Janice tells him that he, he's going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. And he says, no, I'm not fine. I'm, I'm not even close to fine. I'm, it's all <laughs> oh, worth it, though. No. Just remember that, Janice. It was all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> he's having a rough this man's day. a lunatic and we find out even after he gets better he's still a lunatic he's only he says it's changing again uh, and, and dr crush is over there and he's like what, what do you see and he's, he says i've been in another dimension and and part of me is still there my consciousness is torn between two dimensions I'm like, dude that's fucked up that's fucked he's, up he's a fucked up dude he is and he's either, uh, he's either genuinely in two dimensions or he's on lsd right now <laughs> He's in two dimensions, I think, Ace, given the context of the episode. <laughs> given everything else was, that's happening. Just the, the, the way he would like say it, though, is very, very funny. Okay, but what if he was just on LSD the whole time? That's what time? I'm saying. We don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he, he could have ruined space-time and done a whole bunch of LSD. These things are not mutually exclusive. I don't, I don't think that's the case. But Picard, Data, and Troy come in, and Picard introduces himself. Um, and Mannheim's like, your Picard to Janice? Like, she's like, he knows the guy by, by name. And she's like, oh, it's not that. Uh, but Picard, Picard tells Mannheim to explain, uh, to Data what is going on because Data, he says, has, knows all his theories and as, as well versed in them. And he's like, how is that possible? I don't even know all my own theories. Android. He's an Android. <laughs> Why is yeah. there so much pointing out that Data's an Android in this episode? It's very bizarre. Did you know he's an Android? He's every, an android. It's every episode where there's like characters that have to talk to Data and they have to be like, he's a robot, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he's a little different. It's okay. But um, <laughs> Mannheim goes on to say that knowing his theories doesn't help because they've all been disproven. They found a dynamic energy source in the planet uh, and they've learned to focus it and it worked. They opened a window into another dimension. Uh, mm-hmm. But whoopsie, turns out that breaks space time. And then yeah. Mannheim's also surprised to learn that that uh, that's affecting outside of that planet. It, this force field didn't do shit. Like it's just bouncing through the system now. Right. He's like, "Oh crap, we have to shut yeah. it down." He <laughs> fucked up. We got to shut shut down before we break the universe. Um. Uh. So he's he's like, "Okay, well, I have the coordinates that you can safely beam down to the lab and get my notes and uh uh and I'll tell you how to disable the security system and all that." Blah blah blah. Um. So Data believes that with, with what Mannheim's told him, that he's found a solution that they can possibly do to close the, the portal. Um, but they, they have to time it with the next time warp. And uh, Picard's like, whoa, do you, can you time it? And he's like, yeah, I think we can. Um, yeah. But, but Janice enters the conference room where Riker, Worf, Data are talking and is like, oh, I hope I'm not interrupting or anything. And, and uh, Picard's like, no, 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 we're done. And everybody immediately gets up and leaves them alone. <laughs> Yeah, they're um, done. I don't like this scene because this, like, there's so much other more important shit going on. But Janice is like, let's talk about that day you stood me up. Like, <laughs> now is not the time, Janice. I know you guys haven't seen each other in some 22 yeah. years, but come on. Wait, let's and she see. has to play like super coy about it, like right off the bat, where he just says, "Yeah, I was afraid," and she was like, "I want you to lie to me." <laughs> <laughs> 
what the fuck is what do you want lady we're in the middle of something right now yeah it's just i don't like it um but she's like flirting with him and stuff and uh he finally tells her like uh or she tells she goes on to tell him that like yeah i waited for you all day uh and um i even went out to look for you at starfleet headquarters when when uh you didn't show up and then i learned that you'd shipped out and he's he tells her like yeah i didn't go because i was afraid that if i saw you i would lose my resolve to go uh to go to space and um and she tells him that like your real greatest fear is that life with me would have made you ordinary somehow and he's like yep you got it actually (laughs) that seems fake to me i don't think that's true uh i I think he just i don't i think he wanted to go to space personally yeah i i feel like this is contrary to like what picard is about most of the time um i don't know and he's not afraid to be vulnerable with like crusher or anything so that seems a little contradictory as well to me i don't know i don't know i mean he kind of directly says earlier in the episode that he's afraid of being rooted in place he's he's afraid of commitment he's afraid that uh if he like makes that commitment to somebody that is going to limit his options in life, that he's going to miss out on this chance to explore. And so he can have those scenes of tenderness with Dr. Crusher, but it's not ever going to amount to anything because he's got that fear of commitment. That's true. Some, That's true. Something might happen that would change his ability to just go out and fly out and, and do everything that he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, but the, I mean, it's an attempt at being a cute scene here with him and his old lover, but I just hate it. It's a stupid scene. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I, I liked the idea of what it was going for where it was trying to address Picard's like again I like the idea of the scene where um, he's not able to run away from talking about his feelings like he was on the holodeck here he actually has to kind of confront things like head on and talk about it with somebody uh, I just like you said I don't think it was executed super well and I don't think it was done and I don't think Janice is enough of a character where it's like really impactful or meaningful at all yeah, and it just bothered me too because like her husband is fucking dying in sick bay right now, and she's coming over to flirt with Picard about oh, twenty two years ago you totally stood me up. It's really weird. It's like she's it's, it's like she's like keeping her options open while her husband dies. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it feels really scummy. Um, so Doctor Crusher is looking over Mannheim stats in sick bay, and he's unconscious again, and she's telling him. Oh, I wish I could talk to you. I don't understand what this scene is, too. Like, she's telling the unconscious Dr. Mannheim, I wish I could talk to you because you were really something. Um, and Troy comes in to talk, uh, wants to check on Mannheim, but Crusher's like, you didn't come here to check on Mannheim. Uh, and they want to talk about how, how Dr. Crusher's uh, jealous of Janice. Like, what? Hayes, you're right that the way they wrote Dr. Crusher in this episode fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Not, well. uh, it, the, this scene pissed me off. Was, I just hated this. Go, go on. Yeah. Um, so on the bridge, they're preparing for their, their fix. And um, at this point, Mannheim is awake. And Dr. Crusher tells Picard that he wants to speak to him alone. So he goes to the sick bay. And, and first of all, Mannheim says, I think I might have forgotten some of the codes for the security system. <laughs> 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 and Picard well. doesn't seem to really think that's too much of a concern. Um, but really, he wanted to talk to Picard about Janice. He says, you know, if something happens to me here, I need you to promise me that you're going to take care of her. As I know you guys had a thing 22 years ago. And yeah, it's like, oh, Picard is Picard's like, my wife. Uh, you know, yeah, okay, oh, okay, sure. I'll do that. I'm not really going to do that. <laughs> But 
he confides in Picard. And I, I kind of like this one, though, this scene, uh, touching emotional scene, because he's he's confiding in Picard that he's been a terrible husband to her, that she's had a really hard time in those last few years because, like, he's been so engrossed in his work that if ha- they hadn't been so remote and isolated, uh, she could have left him and he wouldn't have even noticed, you know, like, and, and um, Picard's telling her, like, no, you're underestimating her. Uh, she's she's doing what she wants to do. And, and I know you're underestimating her because I once did it to her as well. Like she's a powerful woman. She can, she can take care of this shit herself. My, my first thought was, Oh my God, Picard's going to have a harem of his colleagues, widows. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this is what uh, he no. does now. No, 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 that's not okay? happening. <laughs> There's no harems. Okay. <laughs> I want to put this on the record serious. right now. Captain Picard serious. does not have a harem. I'm. I was just listen. All I'm saying <laughs> is Crusher is there, and now this dude's dying, and his wife's all over Picard. You know, I'm just following what the show is putting down. He's, Picard is just so dreamy and so cool that all the ladies <laughs> want to be with him after their husbands die. They, okay. They love, they love a ball. <laughs> I don't know. I can't wait for the episodes where people try to get Picard to fuck. I'm just saying. <laughs> I love those episodes. Okay. Uh, so Data and Picard are now walking down the hallway, and Data is talking about the time shit with Picard. And Picard is telling Data that he wants him to do this mission alone uh, because he doesn't think there's any reason to risk anyone else. And this, this broke my heart. Data's like, I understand that because I'm a machine and I'm dispensable. And it's like, no, dude. No, that's not what he's saying. That was so sad. Mm. That was his first thought. It's just like, oh, yeah. Uh, you just, I'm like a tin can you can just throw out Data. there. Oh, and Picard's like, no, that's, uh, first of all, that's the wrong word. You're actually indispensable. Um, but he tell, explains to him, and this makes perfect sense, that because Data isn't going to be, uh, he doesn't think Data is going to be as affected as the time fuckery because he can keep a clear head about it a lot better. Right. Like, so he, he can understand has, what's happening. He has an internal clock that is accurate instead of having to, like, a human would have to kind of guess what how much time has elapsed, but he has he has the clock in his head. Well, yeah, and there, he just thinks a lot more rationally. Two so. things about that. I, I think the the uh, the idea is more that um, he like is able to like if he sees like copies of himself, he's able to just instantly like internalize. Like they're all able to like kind of internalize what needs to be done and not be freaked out by the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but McFreeze, it's funny that you say that uh, Data has an internal clock because that would, that's what I was fucking thinking whenever he asked Jordy for a countdown. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. listen. That's that's for the for our. Uh, I know, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You need listen. You need the people on the ship to have the correct amount of tension. Right. They need. Right. They need. They need to have that 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 fear put into them. Okay, what's better? No, what, what's better at counting things down? A fucking robot or Jordy LaForge? Well, Jordy can do it. <laughs> I just apparently it's Jordy LaForge. I just said, man, why did they program Data to have depression? That's sad. <laughs> oh no! But then he can be humanish. He needs to be able to, to feel those feelings. It's I don't think it's depression. I think he was just trying to think about it logically. Like, oh yeah, right. I'm a machine, so he would think of me oh, as more dispensable. That is right, not. Right. It's not logical at all. You, oh. You've never been treated like that. I don't think so. Data, you're a, you're a good guy. I say you're a good guy. Everybody loves you, Data. You're indispensable. 
Yeah. We need you. Anyway, we get this fucking fantastic scene. This is my favorite scene of the episode next. Is uh, Data's beaming down alone, and he successfully arrives at the lab. He's attacked laser turret yay yay <laughs> finally <laughs> we've gone like three episodes without data being attacked by a laser turret D- data is fucking cyborg 009 or some shit he's instantly <laughs> able to just dodge it and just get his phaser out and go kablam and he lams it out of the, out no, of the this ceiling because once again you can see data's stunt double when in scenes where he's yeah. on screen I was not looking he's for like, you'll see oh. the stunt double rolling behind a corner and then data <laughs> pops yeah. out the phaser to shoot at the laser turret yeah they brought in the stunt double just to do a combat roll it was great <laughs> I tried to make it so don't... seamless but it's so funny I guess you don't want Brent Spiner to hurt his shoulder or something. No, but it was like, just funny to have this guy show up to do exactly one combat role, and then oh, Data stands up. That, that yeah, he is, yeah, he yeah, he does a couple more things, but in that shot, they're hard to do. It's easy, it's easy to bang your head off the ground if you don't know what you're doing because you really have to like tuck your head in. Yeah. You don't um, want Brent Spiner to like, get a concussion just trying to do a role. I would anyway. do it the right way. I, I would recommend you guys if you missed this if, you, if you're watching the show along with us go back and watch this scene because it's fucking hilarious I lost I, it I, I, I totally missed that I need to go back I hate you need to go back and watch that scene because it's fucking hilarious it's, and I lost it one of my favorite <laughs> things is the stunt doubles <laughs> well it's still it doesn't beat uh, when he yeeted Tashiya in the Arsenal of Freedom that's the best that's, that's still yeah. the best stunt that's double the moment <laughs> uh, so Data wins against the laser turret of course was there any, ever any question um, but he proceeds into the lab if there's like a what would you guys describe this door blocking mechanism because i just wrote down that it was like um it's it like fluorescent a it's fluorescent light tubes was it, it, it supposed to be a laser door that's my question was that what it was meant to be yeah it's, well, it's, it's so like retract, though like like clearly they weren't supposed to just be laser beams because you can see them retracting and they're just light bulbs and you can see the ends of the of the fluorescent like maybe light. okay they're lightsabers that's what they that's, are Lightsabers is what I wrote down. That's what it reminded me of. And it has to, like, they stop halfway in the door and Data has to just, like, squeeze by them carefully. (laughs) And then he sees the dimensional opening, which is, like, uh, kind of a cool effect. It looks like like you're looking into a window, but the glass is shifting and moving. It's like uh, one of those glass sculptures is, like, got, like, a whole bunch of layers, like, lenticular things. Yeah. It's got yeah, a lot it's of like reflection as he, as he looks at it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have this really dramatic scene now uh, where Picard is telling him over the comms that his channel is remaining open. Please report to what you're seeing. And uh, so, so Data finds a device that tells him the next time shift is going to occur in a minute and 30 seconds. And he needs to add a specific amount of antimatter to rebalance and align the system. It has to be a specific amount of antimatter. It's not just any any wild free antimatter, which is important. Um yeah, but then you just that, the amount is this the amount that is in this can that's on the table. Well, it's relevant for other reasons, but uh, <laughs> theoretically, they should plug the hole um, if if that if they do that. So he grabs the canister with his his grabby stick because you can't touch the container of antimatter. I guess it's dangerous, mm-hmm. and um, so he need when the when it opens when the event happens, he needs to throw in the antimatter. And so this is where he asks Jordy for a twenty seven second countdown on his mark. Jordy's really good at <laughs> counting. Okay, you don't even know. <laughs> I love it. Um, 
So the time distortion occurs, and then because uh, data at this point is standing in front of the window, time distortion occurs. Another data is picking up the antimatter behind him, also talking to Picard. And then there's another one. There's three datas in the room. And this is why it has to be, they mentioned that it has to be a specific amount of antimatter because only one data can drop their antimatter and they have to figure out immediately who it's supposed to be. They got 27 seconds. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Which one of us is the real data? They say. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, no, they, oh, it's me. I'm the one in the middle. So it must be me. I don't know. Yeah. There was no reason given. So I guess that was what it was. I, I That must be the logic. Yeah. But it's just also, Ding, he still has a contraction here. It yeah. says, it's me. What the fuck? Well, it was a very <laughs> tense situation. Maybe he slurred his speech. It wasn't actually. He meant to say it is, but you know, in the heat of the moment, he slurred his words together. That's obviously he. Happened. He purposely made a contraction because it would be faster to say because time was oh. limited. Oh my god, <laughs> I love that though. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, That's you're, you're right. Stick with that. Um. I'm really good at like mentally justifying plot holes and stuff, like <laughs> trying to like falls away. Like, well, maybe this happened, or maybe that happened, or like maybe the writer just forgot that he's not supposed to use contractions. That is, that doesn't occur to me. There's a lot there, of logical reason. Is there a reason he doesn't use contractions? Because he knows about contractions. He's been talked to about contractions. <laughs> the reason he doesn't use contractions is because he's not human enough to understand when to use them. <laughs> that was the reason they gave what? him that data lore. <laughs> His, his speech is awkward because he's he doesn't have emotions, so he doesn't understand. Like that's the whole reason. It's stupid. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But anyway, yeah. they, they, they often say that emotion is tied to grammar. <laughs> <laughs> this scene is really cool, though, um, where the three datas like walk into each other. Then at, at the force field, and the correct one drops the antimatter, which was the middle one, and the, the, the other two disappear, and the field disappears, and they successfully closed it. Yeah. Um, well. Wait, well, well Picard is like, did you do it? And Data said, did you close it? And Data says, oh, the hole is patched. I don't know if about closed or not. And yeah, Picard's you can't like, guarantee well, it's closed. I guess that's good enough. Let's go. <laughs> what else are you going to do? I mean, we, we, we just leave. Uh, well, someone else will figure we, we, out we this. We prevented space-time from collapsing in on itself. That's a W, that's a w for the At day, least I think. for the next hour. Yeah. yeah. And, and back on the ship, we learned that this did also fix Dr. Mannheim, too. He's totally back to normal. He's no longer on, uh, chipping on acid. Um, Dr. Crusher's amazed, like, oh, he's back to normal. He's fixed. Uh, and he's trying to tell his wife about the other dimension and how words can't describe it because it was uh, it was so vibrant that words are all dull in comparison to how vibrant this other dimension was. Um, and Picard is in the lab at this point, and uh, he also asks Picard what the status of his lab is because he wants to continue his research. And his wife looks at him like, really? I thought Aww. the lesson of this episode was going to be her saying, like, I'm sorry, honey, but I can't follow you doing this. You're clearly being reckless. And, like, it's either me or your research. I was wrong about that. You, nah. She's a supportive wife who loves her husband and says, all right, I figured we were going back. All right. Just, <laughs> and the car was like, learned. She, she's just having a good time living alone with her husband on a planet. 10 million miles away from anyone in the universe it's fine it's fun actually she likes it <laughs> I, apparently she does i don't know it's, it's a really shitty ending to this but um uh picard also says you know the federation can help you with your experiments like, yeah yeah ha 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 so we're reassured as the viewers that this is not going to happen again um but he <laughs> Picard just watches like uh, Mannheim and and uh, Janice kiss, and he <laughs> looks all sad and walks away. Oh man! Uh, they should have had. This... They never. They should have had Crusher do a fist pump, but <laughs> <laughs> too cowardly. 
Oh, just, just like out with like a number one finger in the corner. Let me get this scene too, where where we have Doctor or Doctor Troy. We have uh, Troy taking Janice to the holodeck. Picard is waiting for her at the cafe like twenty two years ago. Wow! So they can have a proper goodbye. What really did you? Awkward. How did you guys feel about this scene? Um, eh, it was okay. It was dumb. I'm gonna be it was, um, I, I, I didn't think much of it, if I'm going to be honest. I was just like, okay, that's cute, I guess. It's kind of weird, but I get it. It kind of wraps things up. I, I guess it, I guess it was episode, like closure. But... It was closure for him in a, in a way. Because clearly it was something that that affected him a lot more than her. Because yeah. she moved on where he still thinks about this day that's been, you know, long since passed. Like, to the point that he, like, recreated it in, on the holodeck just for his own kind of sanity. So well, it is it is kind of nice closure for him in that sense. But as like a moment, it's kind of awkward. <laughs> well, it affected her to the point, too, where her husband was dying and she's like over there interrogating Picard about why he stood her up. So the closure for both of them was probably sure, good sure. from this yeah. scene. But also yeah. it felt really like hackneyed, I would say, like just very yeah. forced. They, they could have um, just done it would have been better if it was just like two glasses of wine in the ready room or something. Yeah, no, they had to have the Cafe yeah. des Artistes. Um, we, we we have this whole entire fucking set. We're going to use it at least twice. <laughs> so Picard returns to the bridge, though. Everyone's, like, staring at him, and he's like, something wrong? <laughs> they resume their chorus to surely and finally Serona 5. Yay. And then they get to... This, is, this scene, actually, like, is a cute scene where Picard, Riker, and Troy are talking about this great club with blue drinks on there. And they're like, oh, you remember that club? What's the name of that place? Uh, and Picard's like, that's called the Blue Car- Parrot Cafe. And when we're going, you're buying the drinks. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Which is apparently a Casablanca reference. Oh, I, I, later. I never watched Casablanca. I don't know. Me neither. That was the name of the show is about Casablanca. There yeah, you know. the, the title of the show is also a reference to Casablanca. It said, I don't give a damn. That's the name of the show. This was an episode with some cool moments and all the time stuff. It had some character moments i liked with picard and other ones i really didn't like and that one scene uh with troy and crusher really sucked whereas she's just like how am i supposed to compete with the flame of his past i'm just a doctor on a ship and it's just ugh. yeah that i, was, I that hate was, all that stuff yeah terrible um i'm kind of tired of picard romance episodes i could go i could really do without those at this point because well good news they yeah. don't really have many of those for the rest of time. I mean, there's there's like a, a couple more coming up later. I shouldn't say they never happen again, but uh, the others are better. It, it, as long as it's not like a major theme of the season, I would like that. No, it's not ever. It's so weird. I was not expecting that. So much of the season is about, you know, Picard's like kind of like romance, romantic life. I just would never have thought that's like, you know, what he'd be about. And I guess it's not really in the future, but... I can see why people don't really like this season. It's like, know, a lot can... of weird, out of character stuff for numbers. Well, it's like it, no, nothing ever comes of it. So, yeah, that's that's the other is thing. it so much of a theme? Really, I don't know. It's the theme yeah. that he theme... doesn't. It's what the theme is that he doesn't care about romance. He spends an entire date with Crusher in the in the fifties. You like remember that or thirty? That was a really cute episode. Yeah, I think it was, was. It was the forties, maybe. That I don't was know. because he wanted to wear a hat. No, really, true. that was what he wanted most. He looked anyway, damn good in the hat. Yeah, but um, we haven't. There's an important thing about this episode that we also have to talk about, which is the menu of the restaurant. 
What are we talking about here? I'm going to read the menu. Café des Artistes. Le menu. We have okay. croissants de lithium with cream cheese and fresh tomatoes. Oh, I'm, I'm reading this. Yeah, this is ridiculous. We have tri- tribbles dans la blanquette. What? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, some, some tribbles sautéed with butter, hot butter. Wait, aren't tribbles the thing from like old Star Trek? They mm-hmm. are. They're yeah. little guys. Oh no, you can't eat them. No. Then we've we've got Targ Klingon a la mode. Oh, that was the pig butt dogs. Yeah. Yeah. A a petite targ with vanilla ice cream served on served with the plate of the day and fish. Served with served with binar fries. No. No. You can't serve binar fries. I'm I'm guessing that they figured no one would ever, ever, ever see what's on there. And so they just <laughs> had a lot of fun with it. They did, because the last uh, item before the desserts is John Cougar Melon Camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. That's the, fun. The flank sp- of a cougar captured by 10 aquanauts. <laughs> Do you speak French? I just, I took, I had French when I was a little kid, and I just recognize enough of these words that okay, I, I was gonna i'm gonna out. i gotta tell our listeners that the the menu m- image mcfree's posted is in french so he's been translating yeah. it as he's been oh reading God. this the dessert we have the desserts here le antimatter flambe that sounds good <laughs> <laughs> possess le gâteau et le mange aussi that's something <laughs> and <laughs> Terrapin surprise. Isn't that a turtle? It is. Damn, don't eat turtles. Especially for dessert. The caption on this is, clearly the strain of producing hundreds of graphics for each episode was beginning to take its toll on the art department. (laughs) That's really good. It's a good menu. I like it. Oh, thank you for translating that for us, McFreeze. I did not know you could do that. You you continue to impress. Um, Just as long as it's like the names of animals and foods i can translate <laughs> anything well for a menu that's perfect um so that's uh that's that's it that's the episode uh do you guys have anything else to add to i cannot believe we're last two episodes next week right last two episodes of season one next week we're going to be talking about Those conspiracy are... and uh the neutral zone i'm excited for conspiracy i want to know the conspiracy Oh, you are not ready. I seriously know nothing about that. Good. Good. That's the best way to go into it. I want you to lock yourself in a closet until you watch that episode. Okay. Maybe I'll watch that sooner than usual. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let anybody spoil it for you because it's a fucking, you (laughs) you won't believe it. Um, uh, And then uh, Neutral Zone also is really good uh, because of a specific plot point that i think it might have had something to do with the writer's strike that they put in there but we'll talk about that next week Probably. uh as, as we finish season one i can't believe it we're already going to be on season one ending we're going to be going into we season two we also, made sa- it savor your dr crusher because she won't see her for a while after the next couple episodes you believe we've been doing this for 13 weeks yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, 
I honestly, it doesn't feel that long to me. It, this is this has gone by fast. No, it's fun. It has gone yeah. by fast. Yeah, the, the time it's, is an illusion. It doesn't. It's still 2019, basically. If you ask me, that's true. Damn, damn. Like, you just you just watch TV and then you talk about TV. It's just it's just like time flies, you know. Yeah, what, 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 I'm what glad. Been, I'm so glad we made it to the end of season one. Who knew? Who knew we would not get bored? <laughs> My my yeah. secret goal is we need to at least make it through season three. So, uh, I mean, listeners, if you're listening to this, we're going to definitely do the whole show. Ha ha. Don't stop yeah. listening. But <laughs> really, like, let's at least get through season three because season three is just solidly good television. We still need to find something fun to do for the clip show uh, at the end. of this. Uh, I, I know that exists. What if we just get drunk? And what if we just review something else? <laughs> if we don't reveal well, what it is until that, until we just play that episode you know what i mean i i don't know about that worry about that in like 12 weeks from now (laughs) how about that Uh, that works well you know actually uh there's only 22 episodes in season two so it'll be uh oh yeah 12 weeks you're right oh 12 oh i got it you got it just guessing well you guessed right it'll it'll be (laughs) it'll be summertime we can do the beach episode of star trek wouldn't it be 11 weeks well we have one more week to go through this season though Oh, yes. I see what you're saying. Yes, yes. Okay. In addition to this next week, there will be 11 weeks after that week, but that's 12 weeks altogether, you see. Anyway, if you have any questions or comments, please send them to us at bemetasickbay at gmail.com. We'd love to hear them. We'd love to read them. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you, McFreeze. Thank you, Hayes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, we're going to say goodbye now. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you for listening. <laughs> it's been fun. Thank you. Evil was the better episode this week. <laughs>